Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 81 right here on Sifted Games. we got a good show for you today. Lots of announcements this week and we're going to get to all of them. We're definitely going to talk about Splatoon 2. We're going to talk about the worst kept secret in the game industry this year, Destiny 2. <laughs> and I'm going to share my initial impressions of Persona 5. It's a big show. Let's get to it. Almost didn't make it back to the desk on time. Speak <laughs> <laughs> yourself, I was ready. Yeah, we, we have a little move we got to make. But I'm when closer. We, when we come for the one camera, we have to run over here while the intro is playing to sit down, and my, uh, my mic cable got caught on the chair, and I was like, oh no! But somehow I made it, so... He actually made that sound. It was really sad. <laughs> I uh, hope everyone's having a great Friday afternoon. Some of you guys may be at work. I uh, may have to put us on in the background, and we're cool with that, too. We're here for Game Face episode 81 on Sifted.net. Tons of announcements this week, Matt. Yep. So, some of them long time in coming. Yeah. Just announcements, though. Yeah, just like, <laughs> yes, fine, it is. Yes. Like, it's basically, <laughs> the leaks are yeah. accurate, basically. Uh, we're going to get to all those, but first... Stop tweeting us. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Uh, we're going to get to all those, but first we're going to talk about Splatoon 2. Unfortunately, we would have loved to have talked about this game on last week's show, but the test fire, as they were calling mm. it, the beta that happened over the weekend, happened last weekend. Matt, did you get a chance to take it for a spin at all? I did not. I was uh, wrapped up in Mass Effect and a few other things. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's kind of a pain in the butt the way that they mm. do those things, because they're like you have one hour, basically. Oh, is that how they're doing it? And there's, there's, there were... Two one-hour sessions one day, two one-hour sessions the next day, and then one one-hour se uh, session on Sunday. And so you have to make specific time to show up for those sessions. It's mm. a pain in the butt. And they're, they're on it, believe me. That, the minute <laughs> that hit, it came on. And I think they gave us three minutes after the hour, I think letting people maybe finish their matches or whatever before they completely cut it off. So... I did get in on one one-hour session that I managed to uh, to play. Uh, I wanted to get together with a bunch of sifters, and I put a message on the message board. Nobody replied to it, uh, so I ended up just playing with uh, all the norms. Um, I had fun. I had a good time with it. I uh, just full disclosure, you know, back when Splatoon came out. First of all, Splatoon Two is kind of a a landmark game for me personally because I don't know if you remember or not, but the week Sifted launched was the week that Splat the first Splatoon came out. And uh, I remember the first piece of feedback we got on the site was too many reviews. Because <laughs> the day the site launched, everybody came and literally the whole front page was loaded with like 40 reviews for Splatoon 2. Um, and since then, you know, we've actually called down the outlets that we curate reviews from down to like 8 at this point. And mm. back then we we're like, we're putting up everything. We're going to make sure every freaking review we can find for a game is on Sifted. And, it, and ultimately it wasn't a, a good experience for our users, so we've kind of pulled back from that. But... Splatoon, it will always have a special place in my heart because it was like the first big game that came out once we launched. So, and I look, I did play it in a good bit. I don't think we ever did a game eval for it, or maybe we did. But um, I enjoyed it, but I yeah. found that I kind of got burned out on it pretty quickly. Yeah, I felt this. I mean, I didn't play it very much because I came with my Wii U. All oh, right, so uh, you got in a little late long as well. It was like a. Well, I got the like Thanksgiving 2015, so it was like yeah, it was about yeah. six months after it came out. I think the problem that, I, not even maybe a problem, one of the things that just struck me is, is something that I, I wouldn't be into long term is that it, it felt a little random to me. 
Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think I ever came fully to grips with the controls because it kind of mixes in like stick controls with motion controls. Mm -hmm. uh, and I always felt everything was kind of a little loosey-goosey when I played the game. And when I stick with multiplayer games, I try to find games that I feel like are really balanced in as much about skill as possible, even if I suck at that particular skill. <laughs> at least I feel like I'm building towards something. I always felt like when I won in this game, a lot of it was just luck. Uh, I also felt like the matchmaking wasn't very good in the game. There was very rarely any close games. Uh, and if you got on a team with even two players who weren't great, you really had no chance of winning because it's a shooter. Or people look at it and they think it's a shooter. But really, the mode that everybody plays is a mode where you're just supposed to color as much of the level as possible called Turf Wars. And uh, a lot of people jump into Splatoon, especially newer players, and they don't try to win the game. They just try to get as many kills as possible. They're more cared about, they care more about their KD than they do about winning the matches. And so all this stuff kind of built up over a while, and I think I lasted a week and a half or two weeks of playing online after I finished the campaign before I stopped. So that's my background with Splatoon before I dove into the beta for Splatoon 2 for Nintendo Switch. Um, I guess the first thing I would say is it's immediately familiar. Uh -uh. <laughs> it is... I really struggled to find much of anything different with the game, and there are changes. Um, it looks better. Yeah, I don't know that it really does. I think the I think the, the the paint shaders look better. Yeah, I would say I would agree with that. The paint looks a little bit better than it did before. But I mean, I think if you put these two games side by side, and we were to and you were to say, "Hey, I'll we'll bet a thousand dollars if you can pick mm -hmm. uh, one from the other," I would not take that bet. Probably not. <laughs> other than being able to look at a map and say, "Oh yeah, this map is from Splatoon Two, and this one's from the first game." Um, it is still fun, though, and it is still completely unique. There's no other game on the market like Splatoon. I mean, what other game can you think of that asks you to paint more of a level than, <laughs> than the other team? Um, but as far as, like, ingenuity and changes go, at least as far as the multiplayer is concerned, I really struggled to find any. There was a, a new weapon called the Splat Dooleys, which is basically just, like, two handguns that you mm. use to spray... Um, obviously the maps that I played on were new, but it's a lot like Splatoon 1 in that, I don't know how much you played online, but what they do is they put maps in, like, a rotation. It's not like when you play, like, all the maps, like, cycle in. They'll say, okay, for this period of time, here's two maps that are going to cycle in and out. They never really give you, like, the full map count to kind of play through. And with the beta, it was even worse, because basically on the day I played, we just kept playing the same stinking map over and over and over again. So... Uh, on the flip side, I eventually learned the map and got good at it and started winning a lot more matches the longer I played. Um, but on the bottom side, the maps in this game really don't matter that much. Like, they all kind of feel and look the same. Um, even in the first game, I felt that way. Like, when you first get that shot of the map, uh, when you start a match, you're like, oh, this looks different. Like, they'll do a pan of the map from outside. But once you actually start playing, it's really kind of hard to tell one map from another. And I felt mm -hmm. kind of the same way with this one. Um, let's see, what are the other things that I discovered playing that were new? Uh, there's new, like, special attacks for some of the older weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that meter. It's kind of hard to see because it's hidden behind the Sifted logo up there. But on the top right there, there's that meter. And as you color parts of the map, the meter builds up. And then once it gets to a hilt, you click down on the right analog stick and you can perform a special. Uh, and Is that this, with that, like, jetpack? Yeah, yeah, that's like yeah. The, the jetpack with, like, the big missiles or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had problems with that because once you get up in the air, you're using your motion controls to, mm. to aim the special attack. And I am still, by the way, I'm still having problems with my left Joy-Con. It still cuts out all the time and just stops working out of nowhere. So that, combined with the use of motion controls, was pretty much a disaster. 
I, yeah, I, I ran into a new uh, controller issue with the Wii U or the the, the, the Switch this week. Uh, I didn't notice until someone in a gaff thread brought it up, but it was um, on the Pro controller. If you try to alternate left and right really fast, the rocker it's on tilts up and down real easy. Oh, really? So, you, so it's almost impossible to get stand, like solid left and right inputs if you just like try try it. Um, you bring up either either Zelda or bring up. Um, like the little like button test thing, and, yeah. the, and just like put your thumbs on left and right, and go left, right, right as fast as you can. You'll see constant up and down inputs. Pop really? Up because the rocker it's on on the pro controller, the rocker it's on is really like it's like it's too high. It's like it, it, you'll you'll fall to up got or down you, real easy, or hit a diagonal by accident. And uh, I, I mean I can do it like pretty fast and not have that happen. But if you just if you really go, go back and forth it, as yeah. hard as you can, like say someone you're like maneuvering really hard in Tetris, like Puyo Puyo Tetris, yeah. um, you can get like mistaken up and down inputs on it. And it's power seems, sliding in Mario Kart eight might be a thing. Yeah, it could that. be a thing. And I'm, my thing is like, well I guess the real test will come when because I never had anything like that happen in Zelda, but I'm I'm a pretty precise D patter. Right. Um, but the, the real test will come when Ultra Street Fighter two comes out. And we'll see how it, how that D-pad, which feels pretty good normally. I feel, see how it handles like Street Well, at least it has a D-pad. True. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the it's Joy-Cons better than nothing. Don't they just have the four um, buttons? It's just it's just an interesting thing to me that like there's 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 more uh, design issues with the controllers on this system than I would ever have thought Nintendo would have. Especially from Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else had have been like, eh. But Nintendo, yeah. I mean, they're kind of the gods yeah, of video like, game controllers. Like the D-pad, because I never, I, granted, I didn't notice until someone pointed it out, but when I did it, I was like, oh, yeah, I see what they're saying. And, like, it's, like, it's a sloppy design problem that, like, I'd expect from, like, a Mad Cats controller. Right. You know, it's not something Speaking I, of which, yeah. Mad Cats today filed for bankruptcy. Oh, they finally do that again. Okay. <laughs> Delisted from the stock exchange last week, filed for bankruptcy today, so. Yeah. Well, it was kind of like, you know. But when they were announced that they were delisted, like the, the company's in reaction to it was basically, like, yeah, we get that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's cool. Well, I know, well we then know. the, the yeah. odd part is that the day before, Harmonix, the other company mm. that they're in cahoots with right. for Rock Band Four, laid off seventy percent of its staff. So, man, Rock Band Four is like this anchor that's yeah, just never, like dragging all these. Don't companies go all down. in on the plastic instrument thing anymore, folks. It's over. It's yeah. been over. Yeah. But uh, I, I did see uh, some talk on uh, on Reddit and such about uh, the tick rate on Splatoon 2's test, that it was like 12.5 hertz or something like that, yeah. which is real low. It is low. Um, and like Overwatch, what was it, 20 and bumped to 60 because it was a problem for the player base. Like, yeah. did, you, did you notice that at all? No, I a- honestly, you know what, I did not have any problems with lagging this at all. I, uh, I thought it was great, actually, and for a part of the session, I even took the Switch out of the dock went into my living room and played in handheld mode. And typically in our living room, our Wi-Fi is terrible. Like, it's mm. really low. Like, so much so that I, when I'm using my phone in the living room, I'll just switch to, like, my mobile plan or whatever. And it played for a good, like, three or four minutes before the connection finally dropped on that. And it didn't, it didn't start lagging. It just suddenly dropped out. Hmm. Um, I was actually really impressed with the lack of latency in this game. I did have some connection issues. It's a beta. You expect that to happen. I got booted out of... I think like two matches or something like that. So uh, out of probably the ten or fifteen that I played, um, there are some new features as well. Like uh, there's like a, an easy access to the map now. So whenever you respawn, it's really easy to kind of check the map and see territorially how you're doing to kind of figure out. Okay, I need to go over here and try to throw down some paint over here. Um, a really simple thing that I thought had a pretty big impact on the overall game itself. And Nintendo has said that it's. The campaign in Splatoon 2 is going to be much more extensive than the first, which is great because I really 
found myself grinding my way mm. through the campaign in the first one. And also, I feel like there's a lot of un, un, unmined potential on the characters in this game. Like, I feel like they could build some of these characters into something. It could. You know what? The I designs honestly, are so strong, you might as well give them, like, personalities and some kind of backstory or something. I think it's weird. I think the characters in Splatoon are weird. Oh, they are. But like, I, I haven't really resonated kind of, with them. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know where they resonate with them. I, I like how they look. I think there's kind of a cool like jet set radio sort of yeah, angle to them. Like I just kind of like I like their look, and I would like to see them capitalize on that more than just like, you know, like go a little Overwatch with it. Give me a, give me a little little backstory on these people. Like who? You know, give it more than just like kids found a playground and decided to paint each other. Yeah, kind of thing, you know, because Nintendo, you know, while they don't do big story, they do generally do pretty you know strong characters. Yeah. So I like I hope hopefully they go you know a ways into sort of painting the, the, <laughs> the picture of this world that Splatoon takes place in. And look, I totally realize that this is one of these things where I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people like the characters from Splatoon. I don't really like the characters from Splatoon. I don't really like the music from Splatoon either. <laughs> uh, and there was new music in this, and I found it just as abrasive and weird as the music <laughs> in the first one. Um, but I did have fun playing the game. Like, when the beta ended, I didn't want it to end. Like, I was kind of pissed off. The time flew by. Um, I checked the clock. It was like three after the top of the hour. They cut it off like right away. And I was like, oh, I really wanted to play some more of that. Um, and a big part of that, too, is I was just starting to get good at it again. Uh, because, like I said, the control scheme in this is so different from any other shooter that you play or any other game that you play, really. Um, I had really just kind of started to get back into the groove and gotten good at the game again uh, right when it ended. And unfortunately, I wasn't free to be able to play it again the next day. So... I, what I would say so far about Splatoon 2 is that you're getting pretty much exactly what you think you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be kind of the the watchword of the summer for the Switch. Like yeah. The Switch Lamp's Switch like, yeah, you know. You yeah. know what this is. <laughs> you know what this is. Yeah, I mean, obviously <laughs> we've got uh, Mario Kart coming out no- next mm-hmm. month when you know exactly what you're getting. Because that's really just, uh, I don't even know if you'd call it a remaster. What would you call Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? Kind of a re-release Remixer, with some bonus features. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of which, if you guys haven't noticed yet, some people just check out the stream and maybe don't go to the site every day. We just launched a new feature on Sifted called Dossier, which is basically a rundown of all the games coming out for the month. So the first episode, obviously, is for April. Um, and basically, we run down every single game that's coming out for that month. I don't know if we'll do that every month. April kind of mm. worked out for the first episode because there was like 20 games or whatever. Mm. You get towards November... You're talking about, like, 200 games? That would make Dossier last, like, an hour and a half yeah. or something. See, I thought you were talking about, like, like July. You're gonna, not going to have it. Dossier's going to be, like, three, three Oh, because there's only three games, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about when it gets big. Mm. Like, we may not actually include every game then. Um, but check it out. It's, it's different. We used to do kind of a similar feature on GT where we literally just showed you all the games that were coming out. We do that, too, with Dossier. Uh, but we, as an added twist, we kind of give a hype rating for each game. And there's two ratings. There's Sifted's editorial rating. And then there's your rating, the user's rating. Um, our editorial rating is just based on our experiences with the game, having played the beta or just through consuming media. Uh, and then your rating is based upon traffic on Sifted. So we go and we get the data for each game as far as how it's tracking, how much you guys are watching content for each game. And then we give it a rating from you guys. And there's only three levels of rating. Uh, there's red, which is like you might want to put this on hold. Yellow is proceed with caution, and green is like, yeah, you should definitely be checking this out. It should be on your radar. So the response has been great so far. It seems like you guys like it. Uh, some of you guys have not checked out the site in the last couple of days. You should go watch it and uh, provide your feedback. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say Splatoon 2 is pretty much exactly what I expected from 
the sequel. I mean, I sure hope that the campaign is a lot better because mm-hmm. I think if it's not, even though a lot of people like Splatoon, I think it might get hammered pretty good for basically just being what should have been DLC or an expansion pack. And it makes you wonder if some of the stuff that's going to be in Splatoon wasn't meant to just be DLC. Maybe. But, but I'm, uh, I'm hoping, uh, Fantasy League-wise, I'm hoping for that Zelda bump to infest <laughs> the everything for the rest of the summer. <laughs> it could happen, for sure. Uh, so, yeah. Try to get you guys on. Um, always keep an eye on our forums, because anytime I'm playing a beta and I want to play with you guys, I always go in there and I post something in our forum saying, hey, let's get together. There's also a post in our forums that includes a ton of our members' gamer tags. Um, so if you're someone who is on PSN or Xbox Live or what's Nintendo's new network called? Does it even have a name? Just Nintendo Network? I guess. Yeah. If you're on any of those and you don't have a lot of friends to play with, just go on there. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of, of fellow sifters uh, with their gamer tags in that thread. Um, and you can connect with players. And you obviously, they're people you're already interacting with, so you know they're good people that you want to play with in the first place. So head to the forums, folks, for good stuff. Let's move on. Matt, here's one case where I was completely and utterly fooled. So, yeah. oh yeah. So a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a leak mm. of, of the new Call of Duty. And they said it was called Call of Duty World War II. And someone had snapped a photo of a poster mm. that was like the worst looking thing. I mean, it literally looked like I had made the poster. And it was supposed to be a promo poster for Call of Duty World War II, WW2. Mm. And uh, I looked at that poster. I was like, there's no way that's real. There's just I no believe way. That, I believe that instantly. Really? Because it looks exactly like the old covers. I guess. Like that's what they're, I think that's what they're going for. See, I just um, thought it looked so cheap and janky that I was just yeah, like, there's well, no way that's legit. That's pretty much what I'm expecting at this point from that series, I guess. And it turns out it, it was. Yeah. It's, it's real. So it, just, it looks so much like, some, like one of those giant like, building-sized banners they'd hang on the, the front of the convention center. At or on the, or on the Figueroa yeah. Hotel. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure it will be. Yeah, it's that's clearly what that is, or the prototype for it, or something. Yep. So looks like Call of Duty is going back to World War yeah. II, which is surprising to me because I think a lot of people the knee-jerk reaction would be, oh well, they just saw what happened with Battlefield One, and yeah, but they ain't making this game in twelve right. months. This has so. been in the works yeah. for three years now. They're now on that three-year cycle. So this was their idea a long time ago. I'm not excited about it. I know a lot of people are sick of the future, the near future Call of Duties, and you know, after for years and years, everyone's saying they were sick of World War II. Now the cycle mm-hmm. is complete, and everyone wants to go back to World War II. I am not one of those people. I would prefer to kind of the series to keep going in the direction it's going, and I get why Activision's doing it because sales are finally, after mm-hmm. ten years, are finally starting to fall off, and uh, I think they're trying to mix it up. How do you feel about it, Matt? Do you think that? A World War II setting is something that can engender creativity and innovation? Um, maybe. But that's my I, fear. My I, fear I, is I don't like, know, what can I don't you know do? if that's going to happen with this series and this developer. Like, yeah. I guess, you know, it is Sledgehammer's first take on a World War II Call of Duty. We haven't yeah. seen that from them before. But, you know, whether it's a fair assessment or not, I tend to think of them as like the, you know, third rank of the three developers that are working on Call of Duty, um, even though their last one was pretty good. Yeah, um, really good. And, uh, like, it's kind of like, I don't know how much of this is going to be a retread, how much they're going to be trading on nostalgia for those, because there was a, that period where World War II was just, 
everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And now it's nowhere. Yeah. And that was so like it, the PS2 era, yeah. basically. Like up up through like you know the beginning of the 360 yeah. era, and like then you know Modern Warfare meant we never did that Went again. Back, yeah. Um, so like I am interested in the sense that you know Battlefield One proved that you can you know roll the technology back and still come up with something cool. Um, but like cool, but also a little rote. Sort of, but like the problem here is that like at least with Battlefield, you kind of ended up in some vehicles and stun situations you'd never played before. And Call of Duty doesn't do vehicles, and it doesn't you know you're still going to be a guy on the ground with a gun against other guys on the ground with guns. And once you now you've stripped away all kind of the the drone stuff and the tech stuff and all that, like it's just you know it's just, you're straight. It's real vanilla. That's what I'm what saying. I'm like here. I. I mean, again, I get why they did it. You know, they kind of have to do something because if they want to maintain the revenue that they've been generating from this franchise over the years, they had to do something. Yeah, was... I mean, I feel like it, you were either doing, like, you're either going back to, at this point, you're either going back to World War II or you're going back to something like Vietnam. Yeah. And Black Ops has already kind of covered that sort of Cold War yeah. era real real solid. Yeah. Um, and then, like, when you move up forward, like Modern Warfare kind of had, it was sort of a zeitgeist thing, but I feel like, that's not as entertaining to people right now because it's a little too real, maybe. Uh, and then, like when you start moving forward past the Vietnam era, you're in you're in wars that, like, you know, the people that fought in those are still alive and are still part of your mainstream audience. So, like, maybe that's not you know what you want to play for fun. So, I feel like they're kind of stuck for settings. So, you either keep going forward into the future, or you sort of throw it back to World War II, which is like, I mean. At this point, World War II is practically Star Wars in, ter- in terms of like, you know, it's like you know who the good guys are, you know who the bad guys are, like everybody knows what happened, everybody remembers it, you know, it, it's like, you know, I, if, you, if you don't, aren't a history buff about it, you at least probably have some good feelings about playing it, playing, you know, Call of Duty or 1 or 2 or the old Battlefield games. No, you're right. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people want to go back to Wake Island, you know, it's, it's uh, Wake Island was a good time on Battlefield, so... Um, like, I can see where they're coming from. I just wonder if it's going to fire any imaginations. You yeah, know do you what think I mean? it's a smart move? Do you think they're going to sell more? I think they will the first year, because this past year they Yeah, I mean, I, ho- I would hope that, like, this isn't, like, everybody's shift to World War II now. It's, yeah. like, it's like, okay, we got a World War II one, the next one maybe is another more modern, future thing, and maybe they just, you know, don't... They're not afraid to, to bounce around between time periods more often. Um... So it could be a good thing in terms of you know Activision showing some willingness to uh, not just you know hunker down in the same idea over and over again. Ironically, by maybe going back to the what used to be the idea they hunkered down on over and over again before, because um, as, re- as we remember, Infinity Ward wanted to make Modern Warfare as Call of Duty Two, and Activision wouldn't let them. Right? right. No, everybody wants World War Two. Just make World War Two. Yeah. So that's what Call of Duty Two was, and Call of Duty Three, and so uh, and then. You know, Modern the conventional wisdom shifted. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if people will embrace that or if they're... If, you know, I, I feel like the time might be right for it. I feel like maybe maybe just the only... Maybe just, you know, because especially the flagging sales in Infinite Warfare and the last few have all kind of felt similar in a lot of ways. Um, maybe everybody just needs to see an M1 Garand again. You know, <laughs> yeah. like maybe that's, maybe that's what we're waiting for and we don't know it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, comp- I'm, pl- I'm perplexed on how is going to do financially for them. Mm. I feel like it could rejuvenate it in a lot of ways, but I also wonder, too, is is the game going to be as fast? Or are they going to slow it down? And is it going to be this kind of more slow, deliberate, plotting shooter? Because, I mean, even going beyond the technology, Modern Warfare 4, even, 
or uh, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, it was still faster than like the World War II shooters. Like mm. the World War II, like World at War that we're seeing right now, it's a much slower and deliberate game. And I'm just wondering, after all this time, these players have been conditioned to move so quickly, and in some cases, been given jetpacks and all these other boosts and way and slides and all these ways to go faster. What's it going to be like when they go back to this kind of slower time? One and two. What does it do to the esports side of Call of Duty? Mm. I mean, do you think esports athletes want to go back to this older style? Yeah, they can win a million bucks. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, ultimately, money is the ultimate <laughs> yeah. motivator. But I mean, do you? I mean, is, is Activision be better than that Halo tournament? Yeah, <laughs> that one that no one showed up for for a million dollars that yeah. no one showed up for. But I mean, I wonder if Activision is going to force all the esports leagues to move to this kind of slower yeah, that's play a good style. Question. Um, I mean, it really depends what they get in there. You know, like. I don't see any necessary reason to slow it down. You know, maybe obviously you're not doing like wall running and stuff in this, pro. Yeah. Probably. I mean, you know, yeah. I guess you could, but it would be a little weird. Um, but like, you know, you can still probably run the same speed. I mean, it, it, you, you don't have to slow it down completely. But like, you're just losing a lot of uh, of um, traversal tools, uh, and you got to wonder if like, you know, if they can find a way to make it still feel like you have as much strategic and tactical options available to you without having wall running and jetpacks and, you know, very, you know seriously varied uh, And just think of and all the gadgets, all the too. Gadgets, the, the gadgets, the killstreaks. Well, I mean, I feel like killstreaks, you can still have, like, airstrikes and artillery and all that stuff. But there's not going to be as... They're not going to be as flashy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, gameplay is king, as they say. Yeah. I'm, the most interesting thing about this to me is that it clearly was part of their plan... For a long, a, time, for a ago. long time ago. Yeah. It wasn't it's not this is not a reaction to Battlefield One. Yeah. It's it'll uh, get accused of that till yeah. it comes out. But you but... can't make this that fast. Yeah. So it it's clearly like this was you know their next their next step. It's like we you know it's, it's which was doubly interesting coming on the heels of their most futuristic uh one campaign wise, the, the multiplayer isn't all that different from Black Ops Three. Yeah. Um, but campaign wise and setting wise, Infinite Warfare was the by far the Craziest, furthest future. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Sci-fi uh, Call of Duty, and then like so clearly they, you know, maybe they had it in their heads like, okay, if this one goes a little too far, the next one will be World War Two and bring it all it back. back. Yeah. And then you know who knows? Maybe the next one will be called Modern Warfare Five or something or Four or whatever they're on at this point. So uh, so Infinite Warfare. Did you end up playing the campaign? Oh yeah. Okay. So, I really liked it. So it did kind of bring you back to the franchise. Mm-hmm. Will this do that further for someone who had kind of detached from it for a while? Yeah, I'll probably take I mean, I'm a big World War II history buff, so uh-huh. I'm always interested in different takes on the various battles and locations and stuff. So I'll, I will probably play this just to see it, because it has been a long time yeah. since I played a, a solid World War II shooter. Yep. Like, which is something I never thought I'd say ten years ago. But Well, there's a couple indies. It's funny, because the indies have kind of tried to fill that gap for mm-hmm. people who have been asking for World War II games. There's that one game, Verdun, and there's, like, one other one. Yeah. Uh, Production value-wise, they're not the best-looking games, no. uh, but they do kind of provide that experience, at least. A lot of trench warfare mm. and things like that. So. It just doesn't... I mean, even if you go back to, like, Metal of Honor Allied Assault, like, that still has, like, a little more verve to it than even, like, yeah. some, like something like Verdun, to me. Yeah. Like, they, the cinematic quality of, of those games, which, you know, have sort of been taken to a ridiculous extreme by now, yeah. and is what everybody complains about... Um, that was one of the things that captured me on those games originally, the old Medal of Honor games, and uh, you know it's hard to to break completely away from that. And uh, it feels like you know I I pretty much trust these guys even you know, to deliver it 
on, on this, and I hope they come up with some new scenario. Because World War II was a big battle, and we haven't seen a lot of... Call of Duty hasn't done, you know, naval stuff or... Yeah, you're or right. a lot of... A but lot do you of, think it will, though? I don't know. <laughs> I mean... I highly doubt it. I mean, you could at least do some island hopping. We, you know, I, I was not a huge fan of uh, uh, World at War. Yeah. Um, it was kind of, it was Treyarch kind of kind of yeah. They had what like nine months to make that game. Yeah. Or something. Which like, actually, what they created. I mean, what they pulled off was impressive yeah. for sure. But like, it wasn't all that great, you yeah. know. And um, introduced zombies for the first World time. Well, maybe that was uh, that was Call of Duty Three that they had to make in nine months. No, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. But uh, I did go back and try to play World at War a little while ago. So I decided to do a playthrough of like all the because Call of Duty kind of has that continuity thing, where, right? Like, kind of. There's there's a, there's a price in every game, right? And you know, Captain Price is one of his ancestors, or him is in there somewhere. Um, and World at War didn't work right anymore on the 360. Like it like it didn't play sounds properly, and like really? it, it had like weird ghosty and and I I like posted on a message board I was on about like hey, and people put their and it's like you're like yeah the sound's broken it doesn't work anymore. And basically, the answer from like one of my friends at Activision was like, "It's old. Just give it up." Like, I mean, no. I recorded this footage. It's been almost two years now, for for the show, mm. and it played fine. It would. I tried then. it on two separate three. This would have been like four or five years ago. Oh, okay. Maybe and they like, patched it up since or whatever. It could have been. Yeah. Um, but like, it did not work on any of my three sixties. It was. It was. It like the the voices weren't playing, and like everything was distorted. It was very weird. And I mean, look, even though Battlefield 1 is World War 1, I, I also wonder if, because both franchises have kind of gone back in the last two entries, mm-hmm. if this, if Call of Duty is WW2 is going to be compared unfavorably to Battlefield 1. They're kind of putting themselves with that direct comparison. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with the expansive multiplayer you get in Battlefield 1 with all the vehicles and the big player counts and everything, I just wonder if... Call of Duty is going to have some problems, sort of matching up with that. It's with this possible. I mean, I mean, if there's one, for whatever reason, I feel like Sledgehammer might be the be the mo- most likely one to kind of drop that ball. Yeah. Um, just because they have less experience, I guess. But um, I mean, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I was skeptical about World War One to some degree on yeah. Battlefield One too. I, I, think, agree they that, pull, yeah. I think they pulled it off. Admirably. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll see more at E3. And I think we'll see it before E3. Yeah, but I mean, E3 is where you'll get like kind of the more you know the hands-on stuff with the, with the various sites and seeing some in-depth footage of it. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we get the first trailer within the next couple of weeks. That would that would fit. That's typically sort of the schedule that Activision yeah. follows with promoting it. So especially like this, you know, like so many things this week. This kind of feels like yes, you, it's true. Like, just stop. Like, yeah. Just hang on. <laughs> It's coming. Just hang on. Yeah. yeah. Stop speculating about our terrible banner. <laughs> Which it was terrible, by the way. I wish I actually I should wish I had the image to show you guys. I'm assuming you've seen it by now. But Make, uh, makes you wonder if uh, if uh, it looked like a propaganda ad from like the the 40s or yeah, something. Yeah. Well, it makes you wonder if they're going to go back and like tweak it. Yeah. Now that reaction is out there. Well, you know, I I, never, I didn't I didn't see a lot of positive responses to that. I was totally fooled. I never dreamed that that was a real promotional image <laughs> for a Call of Duty game, but I was wrong. So all right, let's move along. Next, we're going to talk about something that was inevitable and it finally happened yesterday. Mm. Uh, Palmer Lucky or today, really. Today's his last day. Right, but it was announced yesterday. Uh, Palmer Lucky has left Oculus and Facebook, a company that he was a co-founder of, at least Oculus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keep in mind, he's already been paid out big time, oh, yeah. bigly for that investment that he made. I don't even know if it was an investment. I mean, a lot of a lot of people who worked on the Oculus team haven't been exactly 
kind to him over mm-hmm. the last well, year. Well, I mean, it's an investment because he, you know, he's the one who basically went to Carmack and was like, "Hey, I think we can make this happen." And, yeah. and Carmack was, you know, like, "Yeah, on board." And you know, for, I mean, there's the, the the idea who gets credit for what in terms of building that those original devices. Like, there seems to be some internal controversy over that among like the original Oculus folks. Yeah. But like, you know, it seems like from what I've read, he's the one that really you know, saw what Carmack had done and had gotten shut down doing by Bethesda and basically went to Carmack and was like, hey, look, like, we can do this. And while Oculus is, seems to be pretty much a distant third right now of the major headsets. Really does. Or fourth if you're counting Google Cardboard. Yeah, that, um, or Samsung VR. Yeah, or I Samsung mean, it's, it VR. goes down farther and farther. Yeah, it, you know, the Kickstarter for Oculus Rift was the thing that sort of sparked the VR craze. It was. There's no. And by idea. VR craze, I don't mean the consumer craze. I mean the developer craze. You know, right. Like, like suddenly, and the the, suddenly, craze. Yeah, but suddenly the industry saw this as like, oh yeah, we can do this. We yeah. can do this now, and everybody jumped on that board. And you know, I think he does deserve credit for kind of starting that fire. Um, Look at this. So the still was taken on the same day as they <laughs> shot this video. He's got the same shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, so, look, it's been a bumpy road for him there. Yeah. So, first, obviously, there's a lawsuit where, mm-hmm. ultimately, they ended up having to give a ton of money to ZeniMax. Not what ZeniMax was looking for completely, but... Yeah, not not as much as they hoped. But a lot. And then Carmack's coming back at him now. Yeah, now Carmack's um, suing them as well. But, uh, yeah, clearly... And some of that is on Facebook, I guess, because, you know, there were stories that they, you know, they pushed that deal through in, like, two weeks. Right. Um, like I was saying, you know, like there's this is you know there's po- obviously there's a lot of speculation that his leaving is is related to his uh, where he was you know investing money in what was essentially a hate group that was uh, promoting internet memes to support like conservative. He was basically pay- like, it was, paying for trolls. Yeah, I mean, he was more basically or less. funding trolls to go on the internet and troll people. Yeah. And then said he didn't do it. And then he said in an interview, yeah, I totally did it. And then the group he was funding then also told him to go screw himself. It was very. It, it, he didn't make a lot of friends in that incident uh but i think it was it's three years since the purchase last week you know and that feels like a pretty standard amount of time you want to contract the guy running that organization to not work for anybody else so it might just be his his contract ran out facebook has no interest in renewing it for you know various reasons and it's time to move on you know because you know you, you basically want you know that transition to happen and settle and they got the they got the product out it's you know it's they got the touch out it's you know he did his job, basically, and, and you know... I think usually it's, founders it's, are given five-year contracts whenever their companies are purchased from another... Three, three to five. I mean, I mean, sometimes it's three and then, like, two on retainer. Option or, yeah. Kind of, you know, where they're not, they're, maybe they're going to meetings once in a while, but they're not, like, an active yeah. participant in the day-to-day business. But it also seemed like um, kind of what he set out to do was done, right? Right. I mean, I don't know that he really wanted to... He's 24? Yeah, he's very young. Think about that. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, at 24, do you really want to stay there and kind of build out the company? Probably not. And I mean, Facebook doesn't... Once Facebook purchases it, it's going to do all that anyway. I I think he's more of a liability than anything at this point to them. Yeah, I mean, his job was done, pretty much. He had got the product out. They had done a couple revisions, probably with any ideas that he had that didn't make it into the first revision or or whatever, after they had put out kind of the, (laughs) the Kickstarter models, which were junk, basically. Right. So... His job was kind of done there, but I still the the question I want to pose in this discussion is: Was this just bad timing? Because 
I feel like if it was, if we weren't in this current political environment, that he probably would still be there. Well, I think if he hadn't been part of that political environment in such a negative way, yeah. yeah. I mean, but he, look, I think if if he had done the same thing with for George W. Bush or whatever. Well, George I, W. I, Bush wasn't getting supported by like supremacist groups pushing, right. no, pushing no, memes I, on billboards. No, I totally like, it, get that. I mean, is, I'm it, saying is it because of Donald Trump and how, and how Donald Trump is that Lucky ultimately lost his job? Because if he had just been doing the same kind of stuff for a typical conservative candidate, I wonder if he would have ended up losing. Oh his no! Job. If it was like a stand, if he'd been like I don't know supporting Paul Ryan or something, I don't think that. Even if he happened. was doing the same thing, like. Trolling and sending out memes and paying people to send out memes, which is what he, he allegedly was doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's because it was for Donald Trump that Partly this Donald Trump, but, but it was also because the organization was very easily categorized as a hate group. Yeah. Like, that's not cool. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. But, and, like, it makes complete sense that Facebook would want to distance themselves from it. I don't think they, I, I mean, I don't have any proof of that. I don't think they early terminated him or anything for this, but I think it, it definitely was the biggest factor probably in Facebook not wanting to renew that contract because did he say if he resigned uh, they said I think they the most of the statements said he left he, he was left. leaving okay. he, he was yeah he was leaving okay like his time is his time here is ogre as as that Shrek meme <laughs> would, would would say yeah I just I just think it was the perfect crap storm for him yeah, it's it's all a, a bunch of bad timing, but um, you know, one way, whether it happened one way or the other, like it looks how it looks, right? Um, it's probably going to be you know maybe a hard road to find a new. It might be a challenge. Yeah. Job to attach himself to, but at the same time, the man's almost worth a billion dollars, and he can probably just start a new. If he's if he finds something else he's as into as he was into the VR thing, he probably just start a new company he doesn't have to do anything no he doesn't for the rest of his life and neither does any any descendants of his for the next like five generations yeah well we'll see what he does i mean i'm not saying he won't do anything i'm just saying he doesn't have to at 24 right his um, lineage is set for at life. the same time never underestimate the ability of a young person to blow a whole lot of money real it's fast. true it's definitely true um he doesn't seem like that type because he wears like five dollar flip-flops and probably like... not but you never know you never know what someone's going to decide to invest in and it's you're right terrible i mean i, I don't I mean he seemed i mean again he didn't make a very wise investment during the election yeah as we saw you yeah. know obviously wasn't throwing all his money at it but yeah. like um, I guess we'll see what he gets involved in, like, and especially off of the off of the controversy and and off of you know whatever his personal beliefs are. Will he double down on that kind of thing, or will he sort of stay in the, in the sort of neutral tech area and try to make some new whatever? Maybe he'll maybe he'll decide I'm going to make uh, augmented reality affordable next. You know who knows? Some the, the augmented reality could probably use that. Frankly, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about his interests and all that. What his next move might be. His next move probably just be to like hang out for like. 10 years. Yeah. Know, like, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. That's like, tell you damn right, that's what I do. And, you know, kind of going back to what you're talking about, how with his reputation, it might be hard to find a job in the games industry. I don't think that that's because he's a conservative. No, no, no. Um, there are tons of conservatives in the games industry. No denying yeah. that it's Way dominated. Way more than you might think. For sure. And there's no denying that it is dominated predominantly mm -hmm. by people who have liberal thought patterns and whatnot. But it's not like conservative people are ostracized from the games industry. No. Far from it. 
but it's again, I believe it's the exception of what one, what he did. Yeah. But two, Donald Trump is kind of like this out of bounds thing. Mm. It's I don't think a lot of people who aren't conservative look at people who support Donald Trump necessarily as conservatives. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of there's a divided party right now. It's very yeah. true. And also like you know the Silicon Valley area like there's you know a lot of the you know the bro- the tech bros up there are not necessarily super conservative so much as they're like really like kind of Ayn Rand like sort of libertarian style right. folk. You know, they're, 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 I mean, they're in sort of a weird little bubble of that kind of supports that yeah. ethos. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I know plenty of people that have like weird or, or, or unusual kind of, you know, non-liberal politi- political views up there that also think Trump is a terrible idea. And yeah. so... Um, it's you know it's not as monolithic one way or the other as people seem to want to paint that area. It's you know because it's also like contradictory to some people because you think of you know the Bay Area as like this you know hippie commune of, right. of you know hate street and all that. But like but the, but the valley is in like, Silicon Valley isn't like that really. It's, it's a you know the it's also almost an hour away. It's, from yeah, San it's very Francisco. far away. People uh, don't realize think, yeah, that it's, it's it, a, it's a lot only, of people think it's like a suburb of San Francisco. No, it's, it's like not. thirty miles away, and with the way the freeway infrastructure is now, which a is two-hour drive, inadequate. <laughs> yeah, it's a two-hour drive down there at the wrong time of day. <laughs> it's believe pretty me, crazy. It's not. And ask any 49er fan about who has to go there for their games now. Do you think we'll ever see Palmer Lucky again in the games industry? Um, what, what percentage do you think that we'll see him again? I probably like, I don't know, like 15, 20%. That's I feel, exactly I, what I was thinking. I yeah. feel like his, if he makes a next move, it'll be in tech. Yeah. Not, not just gaming. And, the tech, and whatever tech I think he would move on to would not just be gaming specific, I think. And I mean, VR isn't gaming specific technically. There's a lot of educational stuff. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of sure. different ways to. So I think, I think his interest. Well, I'm sure he is a gamer. Like, I think his interest probably lies in cutting-edge tech for the sake of tech more right. than cutting-edge gaming tech specifically. Yeah, while I don't support what he did during the election or any, yeah. any stuff like that, I do admire him. I mean, he was a young kid who came into an industry that, I mean, mm-hmm. this is a big-time money bet. Yeah. And he managed to convince people at his age to invest tons of money. Uh, in his idea, mm-hmm. and there's certainly something commendable about that and admirable about that. Um, so I mean, pi- I pioneers are not always admirable ways. people. You yeah, know? you're right. Like Steve Jobs wasn't exactly somebody you wanted to know. No, you're right. Personally, either it sounds yeah, like so. totally true. So uh, we'll see. I, I I agree with Matt. I think 15 percent chance we ever see him in games again. Um, and but I don't know what that would be. Like, what would I, I don't? He's not going to come back and like own a development studio. No, I, don't, I mean, like, he could and just have that be. He could. He could own a development studio the way we own a blender. You know, right, it's just yeah. like it could just be. <laughs> it's like just something he has, and every once in a while he pokes his head, and it's like, oh, cool, it still works. You yeah, know, I, you know, yeah. I don't see him. doing I don't that, think though. that would happen. I think he would. I think his if he does something else, like he would move into some new kind of some other kind of tech or tech development direction that potentially could be used for gaming yeah but i don't see that being his focus forever agreed all right let's move along so matt you've been playing some kingdom hearts a little bit the last week a little bit i'm actually going to admit two things in this show i'm going to admit one later on but Uh one right now the first one i'm going to admit is that i've never finished a kingdom hearts game wow yeah, I've never managed to make it all the way through on. So you're an adult, is what you're saying. <laughs> I didn't go that far. And I'm speaking as someone who's finished like all of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I will say this, though. It took me three tries to finish Kingdom Hearts 1. Okay. Uh, when it first came out... I don't feel so lonely now. now when it first came out, I played the beginning. I got to, to Wonderland. Okay. And I got halfway through that. I was like, what is this garbage? I... Like, I'm like... <laughs> It, was... like, it doesn't control right. The camera's god-awful, even for 2002. Uh, I don't know what it wants me to do. I don't know. And so I just stopped. Yeah. And then, like, a, like six months later, I just, every, because it was a game, I think it was, like, game of the year time, and people were bringing it up, and I'm like, I'll try it again. So I tried it again. I forced my way through Wonderland, and I got to that damn Tarzan jungle. Yeah. And, like, I remember, because there's a point where you're sliding down vines, like, you're swinging across vines, and I hit a point where, like, I couldn't, get past this one it just felt like the vines went on forever and it uh-huh. turned out that after you swung over one particular vine it turned you around automatically so I was swinging back and forth <laughs> on the same vine and I couldn't tell for like five minutes and when I figured it out I just turned it off and I was like okay we're not doing that that is so funny and like and then finally when Kingdom Hearts 2 was coming it was like you know a few months before Kingdom Hearts 2 was coming yeah. out this is because those first two tries were when we, we still lived in San Francisco yeah. and this was like right you know well, when did Kingdom Hearts 2 come out? 2006? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. Like, so it was Ish. right before that. I'm like, well, I guess I got, I got to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. so I sat down and I finally powered my way through it, finished it 100%, beat Sephiroth, Cloud, and all that stuff. You know, I did yeah. everything. I uh-huh. did just absolutely everything. Got to level 100, the whole thing. And I liked it. You know, I, I'm like, okay, I get it now. I, I, it's weird that they put the two worst Disney worlds up front. Like, yeah. Wonderland and Tar- the Tarzan jungle are two of the worst things in the entire series. And oh, wow. Those are the first two worlds you go to. It's not a great first impression. I am um, not... But a- the rest of it is, is much better once you get used to it. And, all, and I think Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, they refine it into a much better playing game, even if it doesn't make any goddamn sense. That is what always turned me off, was playing it. Like, I just felt like it was way too mm. simplistic and just... I felt like I, like I could just close my eyes and play it with my butt and, like, still get through, like, a lot of the battles. Well, I mean, hardcore fans will always tell you to play on proud difficulty now, yeah. and especially on, the, on the, the this remaster, uh, because they say, that, you know, basically... If, that makes it more of like a God of War on hard kind of thing yeah. as opposed to just a sleepwalk through the... You, know. you are very powerful in this game. Even very early on, if you've leveled up a few times, you are always you know, on the normal difficulty, a, a, a comfortably ahead of the curve from the enemies. So uh, the, the proud difficulty, and then critical is also an extra difficulty on two in the final mix in this, in this collection. So you might actually, you might actually want to bump it up to proud and, and see it, if It wasn't even the difficulty for me, though. It was that it felt, the combat didn't feel, and look, this is going back to when I was playing a lot of Ninja Gaiden and stuff like right. that. The, the combat just did not feel very responsive or very deep. It well, that is, that really is, floaty and very simple. Well, that is very true of the first game still, I think. Uh, two and Birth by Sleep, I feel they might surprise you. Okay. Um, they're be- much better playing games uh, in terms of how the combat works. Uh, more fluid, more options, more interesting. Um, one is still... I'm playing... I'm, I'm mo- I... I I dabbled with the other games just to see what they looked like in the in the new remaster, um, but most of my time has been spent playing Kingdom Hearts One because uh, I'm going to go through the whole thing, uh, all of them, because I haven't played any of the Kingdom Hearts games. And the last Kingdom Hearts game I played was Birth by Sleep on the PSP, and I haven't touched any of them since then. And you know, one and two even before that, and final the final mix games have a bunch of stuff in them that you know added stuff, new bosses, new new th- and so. And I never played it because those were only in Japan. Uh, my girlfriend played them in Japanese, but I don't have the patience to play untranslated games anymore. Yeah, me I'm, either. I'm not, I'm not that young <laughs> at this point. I, play, I played Shenmue untranslated with a guide printed out next to me for each dialogue interaction translated into English. But I, I, 
If you pres if, I, if I saw myself, my younger self doing that now, I'd just be like, stupid kid. Like, what are you, wait what are you doing? <laughs> That's so dumb. Just yeah, wait. And see, I'm not a big Disney fan either. I've lived in L.A. now for, I guess, 11 years, and I've been to Disney twice. Yeah, and the, both times, one time was for a gaming event, and the other time was my sister was in town, and she's like, I want to go to Disneyland. Disneyland. I live on the East Coast. I need, I need to go. I do like Disney. I'm not a, like a, I mean, I've been to Disney, since we lived here, I've been, in, been to Disneyland more times than I can count. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, and I enjoy it. You know, it's, it's, uh, I haven't gone much in the last few years because they've upped the admission price to the point that it's, like, a down payment on a car. But like, Yeah, I know, and it went up again this year, right? Yeah, and the worst part is, now California Adventure is actually worth going to, so the park hopper, it's like, it's like almost 200 bucks now. I know. When I went there with my sister like a year and a half ago, I was shocked yeah. at how, not just how expensive to get in it was, but how expensive everything, everything is. Yeah. Like, I think between her and I, we probably spent $400 that yeah. day. Easy. Yeah. No, no and I mean, we had like one like hamburger or something. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just outrageous oh, how yeah. expensive it was. And it's, um, I mean, back, what was that? When did I get? I was like 2000, 2008, I want to say. Uh, we got... Uh, annual passes like Southern California like resident annual passes uh -huh. and I think it cost less to get an annual pass then than it does to get in for one day now wow it was like 180 bucks or something for the year's pass and they now know I they think, got the parents now I think it's like 180 bucks just to get the park hopper for one day I mean no matter what the parents are going to pay oh yeah that's I mean, bottom line if somebody well, comes what, all the way from the east coast out here they're not going to walk into the gate and be like oh that's too expensive well that's what they sell it as is like you know you know the memories are priceless right or yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> How about the memories of this Kingdom Hearts game? So well, I'll tell you Kingdom this Hearts much. There, is very, there are very few games out right now that you will get more bang for your buck on than this collection. Because, so it's called wow. Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5 HD Remix. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. And then, do you even know all the games that are in this collection? Yeah. Can you name them all? Yeah. Go for so it. So there's Kingdom Hearts 1 Final Mix, or maybe it's 1.5. I don't know. I don't know if they changed it because it's a remaster. Hey, wait, what is that? What is the 1.5 Final Mix? That's just the remastered version of Kingdom Hearts 1. Okay. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 Final Mix, which is the version, the second version that came out in Japan with added content. Okay. Which we never got before now. It's so confusing. To someone who doesn't play well, we got games. We got it on PS3. So the remaster on PS3 and this one are the same thing, except now on the P on the PS4, all these games run at 1080p, 60 frames a second. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and they're, they're gorgeous for okay. what they are. I mean... They, they haven't have, rebuilt the models. They haven't rebuilt everything and built yeah. from the ground up. Everybody's facial feature, facial expressions in the first game is still kind of terrible. But like, uh, the timing of all the dialogue is awkward and weird because it was a 2002 PS2 game. But right. like, but it looks great. It plays better. It runs well. Uh, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2. I guess my, there's streamers that saying it has and speedrunners are saying there's some glitches in it. Uh, apparently, they've at least fixed the glitches that were new to the English version with a day one patch that is brought up to parity with the Japanese version. But there's still some glitches there. But maybe Square will fix them. Who knows? You can't you can't promise anything with Square these days because sometimes they fix, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, so you've got Kingdom Hearts one final mix, uh, and then you've got um, uh, after that you have uh, two. What? No, it's not two. Is not next. It's. Um, the card game that was on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> so it's Chain of Memories. Rechain okay. of Memories. Rechain. R-E-Colon Chain. Because yes. Chain of Memories came out on the Game Boy Advance. Right. And then they made a PS2 version called Rechain of Memories, which turned it into a full 3D right. action game with the card battle system in it. And now this is Rechain of Memories, like remastered. 
and you can play through the whole thing like that. That's the story of what happens between Kingdom Hearts one and two. Right. And introduces orga the organization thirteen guys in the in the in the, the gray and black hoods that uh, show up out of nowhere. Um, if you play, if you just jump to Kingdom Hearts two, none like you're like, who are they? What is all? Who is all these people? Why is all this happening? Um, and then uh, then you have uh, three three fifty two three fifty eight over two days, where the hell that is. <laughs> Uh, that is that is a what know, is that what does that mean, Matt? I've I've never known what that means. I used to know that. Um, <laughs> I, I believe because because it covers like a the lost year between Kingdom Hearts one and two, and the and Roxas who was is the 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 nobody of Sora that was created when he lost his heart in the first game. I don't know. <laughs> but basically, he's the character you start out playing as in Kingdom Hearts 2, and you're like, who the hell is this blonde kid? Yeah. And this kind of tells his story and his relationship with these, the Organization 13 guys, his days in the Organization 13. Um, it's really a pretty mediocre DS game, uh, is what it is. And I think it's called 358 over 2 because it covers that many days. And it's about two characters. I don't know. Like it's it's a, it's like that infinite undiscovery bullshit. They pick two words and then just like that's the name. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they pull them off a list somewhere. I mean, look, there's a lot of so that franchises game... that have have tons of sequels and entries. But to me, the nomenclature of the naming for this franchise is just completely bizarre. Oh, it is. It's yeah. so hard to keep track of. Yeah, and I think that's been part of it. And some of felt some of those games probably got put in there, you know, just to stall for time for Kingdom Hearts three because Nomura was busy with fifteen or, or thirteen right. verses or whatever. And like, you know, sometimes sometimes these games feel like diversionary tactics, you know. Uh, so 358 over 2, or whatever that, that it is, is, uh, is that the game is not in this. It, they, they cut it all down to a little movie. Uh, it's, isn't, it's just a, a movie that kind of covers all the cutscenes. So it fills the story. gaps with the story. So you, you, instead of spending... I mean, that game took me like 50 hours uh, oh, to do everything. So this is much more efficient. Yeah. And no one should spend that amount of time playing that game. Yeah. So yeah, you just watch this movie and you've got it. And then you're ready to move into Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, um, which is... You know, Kingdom Hearts 2 with added content that was only in Japan until the remasters came out over here. Um, and it's probably the best of, of the Should series. Be. Yeah. Um, and kind of deals, it, it catches you up to sort of, uh, you know, resolves a lot of sort of the plot lines in the first game, but also not entirely. Uh, and then after that, you go from Kingdom Hearts 2 to um, um, Recoded. Recoded is a it was a DS uh, port of what used to be a mobile phone game I think, and it's basically like a weird computer virus thing like it was almost Tron like what they're doing in it. I never finished it because it was really boring. Is it an action game still? Um, yeah, it was an action game. I, that is the one that they've reduced to a. Or was that on the was that on the prologue thing? See, even you no, don't it was know. not. Dream Drop Distance was on the prologue thing. So this is. Well, I forgot about that one. That so this is that's the one that was reduced to a movie on the on the Kingdom Hearts 2.5 okay. collection, and then the other one that's the full game is Birth by Sleep, which is a PSP game, which is a prequel to the entire series, right. and tells the story of the three Keyblade Masters that came before Riku, Sora, and Kairi, um, because Kairi gets a Keyblade at some point for reasons that are not explained. Um, Birth by Sleep. Uh, some people think it's continuity breaking and ruins the lore, but it actually. It, it, I thought from what I played of it on PSP, it's actually the, probably the best combat system in the oh, game. Wow. It, it feels really good. Uh, you play like, as each of the three characters through their kind of individual stories. One of those characters I don't find particularly interesting, so that's kind of a downside. But um, 
it it was kind of when is they they tried to give you some answers about the lore of the game the game series without giving the answers they're planning to give I guess in Kingdom Hearts three, and it was sort of a, I guess a, a, a again like I said a stalling tactic. Uh, but it's a good game. I, I, if you like these games, I think Birth by Sleep is one of the one of the jewels of the series. And then from once you're done with all six of those, you can then move on to 2.8 final prologue chapter whatever the crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't remember the name of that, the whole game, name of that game. But it's uh, then you got Dream Drop Distance, which seems to bring you up to speed in terms of Riku and Sora, in, like preparing for Kingdom Hearts three. And then you've got the the point two zero point two prologue thing, which I believe takes place between Birth by Sleep and Kingdom Hearts one, um, or maybe that's the other way around. I don't. Yeah. Um, but how like, many games total are on this thing? There's six games. Oh, there's four games and two, two movies, movies that are kind of you know, summaries games. of games you would probably wouldn't want to play. And how much does it sell for? Uh, I believe it was sixty. Sixty. Fifty bucks. or sixty. I don't remember. It's one of those things I ordered from Amazon. And I don't remember because you're a Prime member, so you get it right. So I get it for twenty percent off or whatever. But gotcha. it's, one way or the other, that's a lot of game time for yeah. for the price of a regular game. Would you recommend it for someone like me who hasn't really been a fan of the Kingdom Hearts games? Um. I mean, are you are you curious about it at all? Yeah, like, of course. Yeah. Like then, you know, I'd say give it a try, and if Kingdom Hearts One doesn't do it for you, just jump to Kingdom Hearts Two. Can you jump around and play any of the six yes. games in any order you want? Yeah. Okay. Like the, the main menu is just all six. You you pick whichever one you want, and they all they the, they they have separate trophy sets and platinums. Each and game has have. its own trophies. Oh yeah, and they're no joke. Wow. Like, there's there's a there's a there's one trophy that wants you to finish Kingdom Hearts One in less than fifteen hours, which is uh, that seems like a it's uh, a tough task. I mean, you put it on beginner difficulty, you could probably burn through it pretty fast. But I, I wouldn't try it as my first run through. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, you gotta, you gotta do some, some, some high difficulty stuff to get the platinums on these games. They're, they're, they're no pushovers, but uh, it's cool that they're, they're there. Um, and they were, I think they were there for the, the remasters on PS3 as well. But I didn't actually play any of those because by the time I got around to trying to like. You know, jump in on those. They announced this, and I'm like, "Well, I'd rather play them on PS4." So this is my first time really dabbling with the with the remasters at all, and they're great. They, they, they're, they're, these games are probably never going to look better than this. I feel like this uh, collection has kind of flown under the radar. Yeah, maybe. There's really not much fanfare for them. Obviously, a lot I of think publications the fan base is excited, but like, yeah. yeah. Like, I, also, I think a lot of publications don't want to spend the time it's going to take to go through these things because right. it is basically just. An well, they've up- also already reviewed all. They already the games. reviewed. Yeah, it was also they've also already gone through them on the PS3. I mean, yeah. they're the same. They're the same collections. They just you know the res is better and, and the frame rates doubled. You know, right. and that's no that's no minor thing. Yeah. You know, for playing it, but I feel like. All you need to do is be like, read the review of the other games and pretend they're 60 frames a second now. You know, it's like, you're, you're done. Any updates for PS4 Pro with this collection? Um, I'm not sure what the differences are, but uh, on my Pro, uh, they're all just rock-solid 60. Um, okay. And uh, there was a problem, I guess, uh, with uh, Kingdom Hearts 2. People with early copies said that, um, like, there was a problem with cutscenes on the English version. It was not in the Japanese version where... The cutscene would freeze for a split second before cutting to another camera angle. Um, like everyone would just, all the characters would just stop for like a split second, and then like you could just barely perceive it. Um, and apparently, that's that's gone as from what I can see. I, I looked at a few cutscenes, and I didn't see that at all. Um, there's still, I guess, some glitches. A lot, most most of the glitches people are complaining about seem to be speedrun related. 
Like a lot of the glitches speedrunners use to complete these games as in the acknowledged like standard speedrun right. method don't work the same, uh, so that's what they're mad about. Poor babies. Weird, um, the main thing, like, there's a couple bosses with some weird, like I think Vexen's boss fight, like he has a thing where he charges up his guitar or whatever, and in the, in the, the, the PS4 version, uh, he starts with it fully charged, and that's not how it's supposed to go. And I think one of the main, the last bosses in Kingdom Hearts 2 starts in his final, his second form or something. Oh, like it's, it's like weird little glitches like that, and so people are hoping that, that Square fixes that. Um, I haven't seen any of that personally, because obviously I've not even gotten more than an hour into Kingdom Hearts 2. So Has this made you more excited or less excited for Kingdom Hearts 3? Um, my excitement for Kingdom Hearts 3 is, is, is in a tiny box in a corner somewhere, because I'm just like, yeah, I'll, you, you call me when you got a date, Do you think boys. they put this out a little too early, maybe? Maybe, I mean, like I don't Maybe know. they should have waited a little close, because I don't think we're going to see Kingdom Hearts 3 until maybe, like, the end of the generation. I mean, I would maybe guess end of next year in That's Japan. That's what I'm thinking, too, yeah. Um... And you know, who I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll they'll actually have a simultaneous worldwide release this time. I wonder. Yeah. I, I wonder how much of this is Disney cracking the whip, saying like, "Will you get this property out already?" I mean, they own a lot of these characters, yeah, yeah, and, they they, and they haven't been able to do anything with them for a while. And they did have that kind of joint announcement that they made. I guess it was middle of last year, something like that, where like a couple of Disney execs came on like a developer doc. And were oh, like, you, hey. can, you can see like the, in the in the chat, like there's people like you know, it's like no, Demix has the guitar. Thank you. It's, it's yeah. on my, the fan. Don't <laughs> underestimate the fan base of this, this series. Like they, uh -huh. the people love this game. Oh no, I know. I mean, when look, if you're gonna mash up Square. Yeah, with Disney, with anybody. obviously you're gonna have a lot of fans. Yeah, and also Kingdom Hearts One to me is interesting, where it's like. Like, it was always a little off in some ways. Uh, like, the Disney stuff near the beginning, like, they're trying to be funny and wacky like Disney stuff is, but it just doesn't work because... It's Final Fantasy. It's fi and... well, well, because, like, you know, the voices are there, the visuals are there, but it's, like, the timing's wrong. There's no sense of comedic timing, in part because, you know, probably a PS2 engine wasn't up to doing it, on, you know, that well, and also because, you know, you're trying to translate through, like, three different levels of language and... and, and you would think stuff. Disney would have been all over that, though. There's only so much you can do. I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, the games, as they moved on, moved further and further away from the Disney characters. Like, the Disney stuff oh, right. became yeah. more, almost more of, like, a thing you went, you went to each world to see everything. To see the Disney thing, yeah. And then, but otherwise, the story was basically about these other characters, in part, you know, other than Donald and Goofy hanging out with you, and Mickey Mouse shows up once in a while. Yeah. But, like, they don't really try to do the wacky Disney scenes anymore, and, like, you watch, you watch Kingdom Hearts 1 now, and you're like... Oh, like this. Or even just like, you know, there's a lot of weird choices in there. There's a lot of weird pauses between dialogue. It was just how it was then, and they didn't do anything to tighten that up because I think it's just a straight up-res port remaster. Um, you, you, you sit there and you question, once again, why David Boreanaz is voicing Squall. Uh, Squall calls himself Leon now for reasons that are never explained. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it's very weird, and you don't really get why the Final Fantasy characters are there. Like, they don't do anything. I mean, it didn't make sense to me when I played the first one. It finally made Cloud look cool, I guess. I, yeah. it's, I don't <laughs> Do know where he got the have already, Is there any reason for people who have already played all these games to buy this package? The well, best-looking versions, I, I guess? Yeah, I mean, th these are ostensibly going to be the definitive versions of these Forever, games. Forever, probably. Yeah, I don't, I don't see... I mean, I mean, we're never going to see a 4K version of these games, probably. I don't know what you would do for that, no. Yeah. I, I mean, you're already... Some of, the, some of the, the pre rendered movies in this are already pushing it. Yeah. Like they're, they're, I mean, they're, they, they're, they look good, the upscale, but you can see... 
They're not going to re-render were not, these. Yeah, these were yeah. not rendered at 1080p, and you push them up to 4K, and you're going to be in trouble, like, yeah. I think. Um, there's there's a couple shots, you know the the, the famous uh, you know attract screen one with the with the instrumental of the simple and clean song, and I I remember when when we we first showed, saw that on the review copy we got for PS PS2 at Tech TV. I remember our uh, our uh, one of our APs uh, Sonia who who loved Disney cried when yeah, she saw it because right. because it was like you know, man the Disney stuff like you you'd never seen it look this good in a game before yeah. when they made this no and you're right it yeah. was amazing it was amazing to see well you hadn't really seen it that good digitally period yeah because it's not like there was a lot of like animated like CG movies right. coming out back then and Disney so. hadn't gotten on the whole like we're gonna remaster stuff for DVD and Blu-ray yeah you know, you know now you can get almost any Disney movie and it looks pristine oh, on, yeah. on Blu-ray. Yeah. But uh, back then, it was like it was almost like Disney had not really taken those steps into that world yet. Well, and there wasn't Blu-ray; it no, didn't exist. No. So, but uh, it was it's it's cool. You know, it's cool to see that. It's cool to relive that if you had any nostalgia for that. This game that was then playing on your nostalgia for your childhood favorite movies that was playing on nostalgia for the fairy tales they stole it from. Right. Um, <laughs> it's like a triple whammy on that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say give it a shot. It's uh, you know, it, it definitely plays smoother to me now just because it's in 60 frames a second right. i'm still kind of still kind of struggling with uh kingdom Hearts one where kingdom Hearts one has a little bit of um i wouldn't call it jank but it's just the combat doesn't react as fast as you'd think you'd want it to I, I guess isn't like, that the definition of jank no this because it's because i think it's working as intended it's just it's not the way i want it to maybe work. we should define jank in part well in part because birth by sleep and kingdom Hearts 2 changed how it plays into a much more fluid kind of God of War style thing. Yeah. And a lot of people hated that, especially because Kingdom Hearts 2 brought in um, uh, QTE sequences right. and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, I don't mind that stuff. I, I think it, may, yeah, it gives you an opportunity, it gives them an opportunity to do like a more cinematic thing, and I get what they're after there. And if any game uh, earns, Should have earns stuff like that. cinema yeah. stuff, it's this one. <laughs> this is it, yeah. Um, and it's like, you, you, if it bothers you, I guess just like focus on the fact that you don't understand what the hell's going on. Um, I think voice talent is really good. You know, they got some some top level to- talent. Uh, it's all mostly all the real Disney voices, like all the way up to like uh, Jeremy Irons and stuff doing Scar and in, in Lion King and all that stuff. You know, and Christopher Lee is one of the bad guys or in in two. I mean, they got some top flight voice talent, especially for the time because you know 2006 was not when you were really seeing celebrities sign on no, for video right. games. Yeah. It, was, it was all the pull of Disney, uh, possibly the pull of Disney's contracts. I don't yeah. I don't know how much. That has to do with anything, but um, if you love Kingdom Hearts, there's no reason not to pl- not to play this. It's it's it looks great. It, they've never never looked better. And if you if you if you're curious, you could do you could do worse. Certainly a good deal. I heard no th- things. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, if Kingdom Hearts one doesn't grab you because it is a little archaic even by, by today's standards. And even as someone who's a fan of the series, it took me several tries to finish it back in the day. Uh, just jump to, to Kingdom Hearts 2 and see if that does it for you. Kingdom Hearts 2 doesn't grab you. It's probably not for you. Yeah. Okay, let's move on and talk about a Marvel property now. We move from Disney to Marvel. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Telltale series, was finally unveiled in full yesterday. Um, we had gotten a little teaser trailer, which really was kind of the definition of a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. It was literally just like... A Walkman and a cassette tape floating through space. That's all we got. We got the full Monty yesterday. Matt, are you excited about it now that you've seen it? 
Yeah. Are you, first of all, are you a fan of the movie Guardians oh, yeah. of the Galaxy? I'm, I, think, I am a huge fan. I love, love that movie. I think it's, uh, I put in my top three uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies easy. Okay. It's and like, they're all starting to come together now, aren't the Guardians of the Galaxy finally going to start Guard, interacting yeah, Guardians, with like, the Avengers? Guardians and, will be in Infinity War yeah. with, with the Avengers. Which seems in, insane. Uh, next, is that next year? Yeah. Shit, that's next year. Because it's really the bad guy that's crossing over, right? Yeah, Thanos. And therefore they yeah. are coming over as well. Yeah, Thanos is, after having been teased since 2012, uh, pacing, boys. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I don't it know. It is crazy that they even mentioned him back then. I mean, it makes sense in the sense that, like, he's one of the major Marvel Universe villains. And, like, I mean, when, I, when they showed that teaser, yeah, the teaser at the end of Avengers 1, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, it's Thanos. And everyone else around me was like, the what? Who? Yeah. Like, is it, like, if you aren't a real Marvel nerd, you're not going to know who the guy with the chin is when he turns around like that. But, like, to, if you were in the know, you're like, oh, my God. And then, like, of course, you, the question about Infinity War is, like, because here's the thing, Thanos is a cool-looking guy, villain, like the idea of the Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Gems is really cool. All the Infinity stories are kind of terrible. Because uh, the thing is, it gives Thanos the power of a god, and then they have to come up with some really cheesy way that, he, def- beat the god. that he defeats himself, basically, right? right? And um, it's never, never been satisfying to me. And I'm wondering, you know, if anyone can figure this out, it's the Russo brothers who made Winter Soldier and Civil War, but like, they got their work cut out for them, because Thanos is, looks cool and sounds cool, and Josh Brolin is a cool choice, but like... Good luck making him interesting is kind of my my worry on this one. But Guardians of the Galaxy two is coming out in May, and who cares? Yeah. You know, because because that that movie, by all reports, is going to be exactly more of the same what we love from the first one, except more so. And uh, I again, it's like I always say, like the plots and the stories of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies are not really anything special most of the time. But I just want to I go see them because I want to spend time with those characters. Yeah. And I felt like Guardians, Guardians of, the of the Galaxy did that better than almost any of the others. I, I felt like Guardians of the Galaxy was a better Star Wars movie than most of the Star Wars movies. It was that a are great space opera now. movie. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. It, it really felt had that Star Wars feel. Yeah. Um, before and the, and the levity to it yeah. and the aw, that's so cute element to it. Like mm-hmm. I just thought it freaking nailed it. And the it. humanity to it. Like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's for a, real. Like you would, and it, and they they pull it out of the characters you would never think of at the yeah. end of the end of the first movie where where Rocket's incredibly distraught about Groot and. Jack sits down and pets him. Yeah. And, and, and like, Rocket's like, what the hell? And then, like, he just sort of accepts it because that's how, that's where the character has come. And it's great. It, it, it's, yeah. it gets you. It, I really it, loved it. I thought it was a fabulous movie. Well, now that fun. we've seen the game, though, how do you feel about it? I mean, they're, 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 I don't think they're on James Gunn's level when it comes to presenting these characters. Yeah. Um, and I was a little let down. I'll, I mean, I yeah. look, it's their, it's their art style. It's Telltale's quote-unquote art style. Yeah, and it, I mean, I, like, I think... Does it work with this? Eh, I think it works for, like, Star-Lord, but I don't like how Groot looks. Me either. I don't like how Rocket looks. No, well, yeah, Rocket um, is passable. Then the, the trick there is that Rocket has looked real different through the years. I mean, yeah. you know, there's, there's no one way to do Rocket, but Groot, uh, is, Groot almost doesn't seem like he fits the rest of the group for some reason. Maybe. I mean, I didn't think he really did in the movie either. He was so unique. I, well, I just mean in the sense that, like, he looks like his design, his character design is from a different art style, almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I... I... And then, like, Thanos, Thanos is actually a really cool-looking version of Thanos, but he also doesn't really seem like he fits the aesthetic of the game. I, mean, I wonder, too, if people confused. knew this universe from Marvel instead of the films. Oh, and no. I'm guessing that's you. No. No. 
Dude, when they announced this the movie, I had to look them up. I had okay. Because here's here's the thing. So I'm just maybe, wondering if there are people that know if there, maybe there these are. characters look more close to what no, they no no they no. Don't. These are straight up the movie. Okay. I mean, Thanos looks like you know more or less looks like he does in the in the comics, but like Thanos in the movies looks like he does in the comics. Right. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, the thing with Guardians of the Galaxy is like um, that property is from like the late seventies. Why did and they dig? Of all things, why did they dig that? Because it was up? a blank slate. They could do whatever they wanted. I guess and, so. and it took them off of Earth and let them play a little bit. And uh-huh. I think that was the key. Um, but you know, like Star Lord uh, in the movies, he's sort you know he's you know Chris Pratt is like the quippy kind of you know right. sensey. Yeah. He's like Han Solo. Yeah, but like he's not like that, and it wasn't like that. Like he is now. You know, they they, they you know, wrote the, it. The to comics match will, the, the movie. comics always will. You know, shift to match the movies. That's right. how they do it. That's marketing. But, but he was around in the old Guardians. He was more of like a space police, like gruff dude. Oh, and he disappeared. Like he stopped appearing in the comics in like the like around 1980, and like popped up again in Annihilation out of after like almost like I think it was like 20 some years as like a character. Suddenly he's back. Peter Quill's back as Star Lord in Annihilation. And he was more of like a like a more gruff sort of like oh here we go again kind of thing wow and then like they just you know every male lead in the marvel cinematic universe has to be kind of tony stark light to keep you know keep the quippy sarcastic levels at what we expect from because that's what gets the non-nerds into the film it keeps keeps them entertained (laughs) it keeps the normals entertained (laughs) pretty much Yeah. yeah but um so and Rocket had a had a implied Cockney accent most of his existence, oh, wow. um, which you can hear in Marvel versus Capcom three. I guarantee you, if he's in Marvel versus Capcom Infinite, he will not sound like that anymore. Um, so they changed the you know, and the, and the team was very different. You know, Drax is a very different character in the, in the comics. He's he's. Uh, He's also dead for a long time. <laughs> uh, he was an Earthman who was like reincarnated into like an alien super body to kill Thanos. Like, his whole point is to kill Thanos. Whereas in the movie, obviously, he's an alien who his family was killed by Thanos. So that's why he wants to kill Thanos. Right. Um, I mean, I prefer, from what I've read, I prefer uh, the movie version because they're just more fun yeah. and less, uh, you know, contrived and you know, tons of weird continuity behind them. Um, certainly Yondu. Uh, you know, Yondu in the comics has the bow and arrow, but he's got a giant mohawk that's like three feet tall, and he's more of like an elfin sort of like live character, whereas like, I love the, the Michael Rapaport version. Yeah. Um, although I do notice in the, in the trailers for the new movie, his mo- mohawk is taller in this one. So clearly he's working his way up <laughs> to, the, to the comic-sized mohawk, and maybe by three we'll have, a, we'll have the three-foot-tall mohawk on him. What about squeezing this property into the Telltale framework? Because I just want to say, after playing Life is Strange, I have not enjoyed Telltale games as much mm-hmm. since then. And I got a free download code for the new season of The Walking Dead. And Matt, I literally played the first seven minutes of the initial episode and quit. Because I, it was right at the beginning. There was like a part where... Stuff is happening, and there's no cues on screen telling you what to do. And I'm like, uh, uh, die. And I just, I just feel like I've run out of my love mm. for that style of gameplay. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Batman. I, um, you know what? I didn't. Like, it was I, okay. I played the first episode of that, and I got about 30 minutes into the second one, and I was like, eh. Well, I mean, it was okay. It was, it was fine. Um... I think they're going to struggle to match uh, The Wolf Among Us. I feel like that's the peak of their stuff so far. Um, I mean, speaking to someone who wasn't a huge Walking Dead fan anyway. Yeah. Um, I Game mean, of that, the year, though. 
Yeah, well, that part of my problem with that was like I don't give a shit about The Walking Dead, you know. Like, yeah, and I even well, less the, of one now. I mean, the game has nothing to do with the TV show, right? It's just the same title. I just don't, you know, the zombie thing is kind of played out to me even back then. I think and, a lot of people would agree with that. And now I don't even, you know, it's just it's like Days Gone. I was not, I did not care about Days Gone until we saw that E3 reveal last year. Right. Like, oh, that seems like a more interesting because I don't care that the zombies. I care that the gameplay mechanics and that look right. like at least something I haven't done before yeah. to some degree. Um, but like, you know, I'm more interested in their t- in Telltale's takes on these things in terms of what they're going to do with these licenses. Uh, the main problem with the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale game, I think, is that they're up against such high quality films yeah. that I don't see them matching. You know, because Batman maybe is not as <laughs> all right. You know, you, you, get, you, you got some leeway on that one. It also yeah. in part because you know you can do like your own version of Batman and people can accept it. Just like Arkham, you know, the Arkham games have yeah. their own version yeah, of Batman. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you accept it as that's how this Batman is. Uh, the Guardians do not have that. Everybody's picture of the Guardians more or less is the movies, and so you're going to inevitably be drawing comparisons to. One of, and probably two of, you know, come May, probably two of the best movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm concerned too about the comedy, the levity. Right, because there's a, that's there's, not something Telltale has traditionally done. No, exceptionally and they well. certainly haven't done it in the vein of how James Gunn does right. his movie. You know, which, James, which I don't know if you know this or not, but I worked with James Gunn for like two years. Whenever I was the VP of digital at Viacom, I ran. Spike.com, and we did a series with James Gunn. It was called mm. PG Porn. And basically what it was is it was a really genius idea. It was basically like he'd shoot a, a, a mini show like it was a porn movie, and then when it came time to have sex, something would always happen so that they never had sex. <laughs> it was a, actually like a brilliant like miniseries, mm. and dude, it blew up Spike.com. Like it went huge, and then... The folks at Viacom didn't like the fact that it had the word porn in the mm-hmm. title uh, because the, obviously they would, our marketing and sales team would take ad buys for Dove or Downey or whatever, and their pre-roll would run before, because PG <laughs> porn was huge. I mean, we would put up a new episode, it would do, like before the YouTube days, it would do two or three million views in a couple days. And so all their ad inventory would just get sucked up by PG porn. And they got so mad that they're like, look, either you change the title or we want you to drop the series. And we're like, drop the series? It does 3 million views in like 24 hours. But, and James Gunn said no. He's like, there's no way we're going to do PG porn without calling it porn. And uh, so we ended up having to drop the series. I don't know if anybody ever else picked it up. I don't think so. But we worked closely with him. And knowing him back then, I guess that was 2008 or 2009, Never would have guessed that he was going to go on to do what he's doing now. I don't think he would have either. I mean, we, as a promotional thing for PG Porn, we went to the AVN one year, which is like this porn convention. I don't know if it still happens this way, but it would happen the same exact time as CES in Las Vegas. So we would we went to CES, we shot that, and then we went and did the AVN like convention with him. Like He was the host who walked around and did all the stand-ups and interacted with all the porn stars and everything. And, I mean, I hung around with him all day for, like, two days. And I just never would have guessed that this guy was going to become what he is. I mean, he was a really cool guy. He was really nice. But, you know, when you're around some people who are, like, really freaking smart, and you're just like, damn. Like, Mm -hmm. this person is way more intelligent than me. And they're going to go on and do huge freaking things that I could only dream of doing. Like, I never got that vibe from him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great guy and all that. But, man, like... (laughs) He is blown up. It's yeah. really crazy well, I to see. He, uh, we did some interviews with him near the end of G4, and 
He was really great because he, he was on uh, Lollipop Chainsaw. We, right. we did yeah. some of that. Yeah. And then I saw him. It was the the right before uh, the Christmas before Guardians came out. Guardians one. I saw him at I saw him at a party, a Christmas party I was at, and uh-huh. I, I stopped and I said like, "Hey, it looks really cool, and uh, it's the first Marvel movie my mom wants to see." Cause she <laughs> That's lo- a big she, deal. Because she loves the song. You know, she yeah, likes yeah. the music. You uh-huh. know. And um, and I was like, yeah, and how's you know how's it going? How is it working with with Marvel and all this? And he's like, he's like, they're letting us do anything I want. Like it's crazy. Like I don't I don't know if it's gonna be any. He's like he's like <laughs> I hope it's good. But he's they're like they're yeah. letting us do whatever. Like it's he's, he's like I know, it's like the it's incredibly creatively freeing, and we're making exactly the movie we want to make, and I hope everybody likes it. But it's like we're in deep in post right now, and I'm like, I, he's like I think it might be good. You know? I mean, and, and it was it was great. Oh, yeah, it's, it's also notable. You know, like you said, notable that uh, it's. The first Marvel movie that Marvel Studios put the director's name on. They, 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 when, when the you know, credits start up on Guardians One, it says a James Gunn film, and that's the yeah. only Marvel movie. To, uh, bef- no other Marvel movie before that says that, and they did that without telling him. Wow! Like he didn't know that until he, they saw one of the cuts, and he's like, wow. "I you didn't ask for that. He didn't know. That. They just did it because they decided." Marvel Studios decided this movie is so much his movie, we're going to call it a James Gunn film. I mean, one thing I'll say is his story is really inspiring yeah. because this. Happened. And it comes out of trauma, which is, you know, right. again, like, you want inspiring indie film stories, trauma is kind of the home of that sort of thing. I mean, he went from creating web shorts for mm-hmm. Spike.com and getting paid, I think we paid him like three or four thousand an episode. Yep. To, to this mm-hmm. in less than 10 years. I mean, the first Guardians of the Guy was like seven years later. Yeah. Like, it just shows you that no matter how down on your, lu- your luck you think you are, and how out of it you may think you are, man, there's always hope to you completely turn it around. And, and he like, seems like he's a, as far as I know, and as far as I've interacted with him, he's a really good dude. The poor and stars he, all knew him. And he, <laughs> and he, he loves, uh, up, they knew him by name. <laughs> hey, he, James! <laughs> and he loves animals. He's, yeah. a, he's a giant animal person. Loves horror movies, too, Walk, by the Walks way. around with a raccoon that, that uh, uh, Rocket Raccoon's based on, on his yeah. shoulder for all the red carpet premieres and stuff. Well, after PG porn was canceled, he kept pitching us on stuff. And everything he pitched us after that was horror. Everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, horror shorts. And I'm like, you can't really build tension in like 90 seconds. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. I actually turned, now that I think about it, I turned down several pitches from James Gunn. Mm. Think about that. <laughs> Crazy to think about. But anyway. You, at least you weren't working for Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm really kind of nervous about the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. I think maybe because I hold that film so sacred. More so than some of the other stuff, because like I like The Walking Dead, but The Walking Dead was based off the graphics novel. Graphic mm. novel. It wasn't based off the TV show, and so and I'm not like a huge Batman fan. I love I like Batman, but I'm not like a Batman fan. Um, so this is maybe the first time they're taking over a property that I feel like I have some mm. some personal agency built into. And I have so, a lot of personal interest in uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorites. I never played the Back to the Future it's, series. I mean, they're they're fine. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not, not how I would have done it, as yeah. James, <laughs> as James Cameron once said about Alien Three. Right. Um, but uh, it was, it, I, I can, you know, it makes sense that 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 back, those Back to the Future games like launched the Telltale ship. Yeah. Kind of. Um, go back and play them now, and they're not so much, but uh, uh, they at least took it in, in some interesting places. Um, but that property is probably the one that meant the most to me until. This one, because again, like I said with Batman, I do love Batman, 
but there's so much room for different versions of Batman that, like, even if Telltale's version of Batman is terrible, was terrible, it would have been like, okay, it's another bad Batman idea. Because yeah, like, almost all of them. Are. There's, there's, a few, there's a few, been a few of them. Some of them a little more high profile than others. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Destiny Two. So. Another game that was leaked over and over and over again, and I feel like this may have actually been a case where they did not follow their marketing plan. They just straight up said, man, we're sick of these freaking leaks. We're going to put this stuff out. Uh, So we get two days in a row. First, we get a little teaser trailer, which is like a bar scene. And then yesterday, we get the full Monty, the full Mm -hmm. trailer, uh, two plus minutes long. Bar scene with uh, Cade Six, which is Nathan Fillion's character. Very wise to lead with him. Probably so. Um, what's your first impression? Now, again, you know, we've talked about this before. I played Destiny. Mm-hmm. I think it was one. It's maybe our first gamey Val. I think it was our first ever gamey Val before the site even launched. I got some uh, review copy and played it, and it was supposed to serve as like an example of our video review, so people could see what kind of video reviews we were going to do, which we ultimately ended up stopping. But I played it through. I played the multiplayer for a while. You obviously had a much bigger affinity for it than I did. Played it much longer than I did. What are your first impressions of this, having seen this first look? And again, no gameplay in this. It's no. all cinematics. I mean, it's nice that they're you know they're clearly actually have they've got some characters here. They've got some narrative plans. They're focusing on the cabal, which I think is the more, most interesting of the enemies yep. in the game. Um, because they're the cabal are the only enemies that are not a direct Halo rip. To me, yeah. they're more a, they're a Warhammer 40k rip, yeah. which is a much more interesting <laughs> idea. Uh, they're also, to me, the most satisfying things to pop the head of. You're right. All the atmosphere comes out of their suit and yeah. stuff. It's great. Um, so I like that they're what they're focusing on there. I like that they're focusing on Cade Six because um, uh, he's probably the best character of the th- of the leader class group that like you answered to. Because that was the thing about. Um, uh, like the later DLC expansions for the first game was the problem with the other one was like there was just no characters no there's nothing to grab onto nothing to remember and they finally they kind they of they want br- you to remember a little floating droid right but they brought back <laughs> in the DLC they brought back like kind of the constant radio chatter that defined how Halo's story was told yeah with all these and all of a sudden these three characters the four characters that you continually go back to that room and get your upgrades from all of a sudden I knew who they were yeah, all of a sudden I had an right. idea what they were what their relationship their to each other was like, like what yeah. was going on and it was like it, it was you know in in one a little set of missions, they got me more involved with those, any of those characters than the whole vanilla game. Yeah. And hopefully they're continuing that, and these, these trailers do seem like they're, you know, really pushing hard for the character of the, of, you know, you can almost believe this is a Mass Effect trailer. For sure. In some way. I mean, yeah. in, in how written it is, in terms of presenting you with characters you care about on top of, because I don't think this, the overarching world story is going to be particularly satisfying in this, this series ever. Because I feel like they don't really know what that is. Yeah. But if you can tell some interesting character-driven stories on a micro level, you're make me, you'll, you'll make me happy anyway. I so. think that they led with exactly what they needed to lead mm-hmm. with. They, just like you said, they introduced characters that you may actually care about. Because that was the thing with me with Destiny. It just felt like it had no personality. No, it was very sterile. It was just sterile, and it just I just felt like I was. It was mindless too. The gameplay was mindless. It right. felt like to me. And it's like it, I've, I've said multiple times, I, like I, would over. There, I would watch the the load screen with a ship, and I'd be like, "Why am I playing this?" Yeah. You know, like, and is that with games that feel mindless while you play them? A lot of times they can be saved by characters, mm-hmm. and Destiny didn't really have any that you could remember. And to lead off with not just focus on like one character although the second trailer kind of focuses on two characters for the most part 
not only does it focus on one, it's lighthearted and it's mm-hmm. fun. And like, really, the only time you got that was from like your droid in the. Fr- it was so like a couple times, and the Nathan Fillion character would crack wise once in a while, but yeah. it was like it was out of nowhere. It didn't feel it didn't like fit, it fit because it, yeah. it was just like yeah, it was like a square peg in so a round somber. hole. And like, especially you know, I mean, I know everybody makes fun of it anyway, but it's like you know, although the, like the one memorable line in the whole game was you know the wizard that wizard came from the moon, which they cut because right. everybody made fun of it. Right. And then like the I think the other defining cutscene of the original game was. Where you go see the the leader guy at the top of the tower or whatever, and he's like, just like, I could tell you all the things about the things that happened, but I won't. And you're like, yeah. why? Like, what this, <laughs> it's not like I don't. It's like I already know what happened. Like, you got to tell me the world. Like, it's a little world building here. And this, it just like, yeah. And everything is like this. We are. This is the tower, and we are fighting the darkness. And you need to go deal with, you know, the cabal and the fallen and the vex. Yeah. And the, and it's just and it, everything is de- definite article proper noun and it's like they're trying to make it feel mythic and legendary and instead it just comes off as feeling like weird and 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 detached. Well, yeah, because even if you go back to Halo, you know Bungie's earlier franchise, like it had levity, funny parts in it, right. like the aliens screaming and making these little quips. Like there was always these moments where they would provide some peaks and valleys for the game, so it wasn't just kind of this monotone experience. And maybe that's the best way to describe my experience with the first with the first Destiny is it was just monotone. Yeah, that's a good. I just felt like there were no peaks and valleys. I felt like there was no great moments. I can't even remember any specific moments from that game. The only great moments from the early part of the uh, of Destiny were were organic um, multiplayer moments that happened in like the, the sure. like the group quest stuff right. that would suddenly happen and like things would go crazy about but in terms of the actual narrative content no I couldn't tell you anything really about most most of that game was is a blur I just thought it was forgettable and it was just seemed like a game that people the later the stuff is way like the Taken King sure. and stuff is yeah. way better way it feels like if like when you're playing stuff like the Taken King Rise of Iron less so but definitely the Taken King like you're like you could you tell me these are the people that made Halo, and I believe you. Bungie had started to figure it out at yeah. that point. So let's talk about what we know about the new one. Coming out September 8th, going to be mm. a beta this summer. Open beta. Everyone's going to be able to play in it. Uh, timed exclusive content for PlayStation 4. Yeah, that's not surprising. Not at all, because Activision pretty much is in bed with PlayStation mm. at this point. Big story, PC version. Yeah. How big is that, Matt? I don't know. I'm wondering, too. Because I'm still going to get it on PS4, because I don't trust any of my friends to get it on PC. Uh, I don't either, like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I get it on PC, I sure it'll look good, but I'll be alone. Playing by yourself, you know? yeah. yeah. And this is certainly it was bad enough. With, bad enough when I bought the PS4 version of the first game, and everybody I knew bought the Xbox One version. Yeah, yeah, which is really weird. That hasn't happened with many games this generation. No, it, that was early enough that people weren't re- hadn't really admitted it themselves. That like, yeah, the PS4 version's going to run better, folks. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> there's a clear difference here. Yeah. Because, you know, I was a big 360 fan, too. I bought That's everything it. on 360, yeah. but it's like I very rapidly switched... You're like, okay, the, the performance is clearly better on this. Because I'm not a brand loyalist. I'm a frame Best experience rate loyalist. loyalist like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, you, well, it's funny. I can look at like my game collection from last generation. And huge collection of Xbox 360 yep. games. And then two stacks of PlayStation 3 Yeah, games. and they're all exclusives. And they're all exclusives. Yeah. Maybe a couple thrown in there. I think I have like Bioshock 2 or something. Yeah. I, I, have, uh, I have Burnout. Um, I have one of the Burnout games. I think Burnout Paradise I have on PS3 because, uh, like, the spark effects looked better oh. on the PS3. <laughs> <laughs> and now this generation completely flipped. 
Yep. Big library of PlayStation 4 games, like, not even two stacks yet of Xbox yeah. One games. Well, Xbox One, especially at this point, like, you know, I, I had to put away an Xbox One game uh, a couple weeks ago, and I opened the case, and I'd totally forgotten that the disc is on the other side. Oh, yeah. You know, it's on the left right. side yeah. now, for whatever, <laughs> to be unique, I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, I was like, mm. and I took, because I had the disc, and I opened the, opened the thing, and I just went like that, and it just, like, fell out. I'm like, what the, oh, it's on the other, like, that's how yeah. little I deal with Xbox One games. Yep. Uh, and then the final thing, May 18th, they're supposed to show off gameplay for the first time. Do you expect it to look much better, if at all, than the original game? Yes, I think it will look yeah. better. Yeah. You I, think I, they'll shoot for the Scorpio and Pro, or you think they're going to... I think there will be some some Pro benefits. Uh, frankly, I, I just... I don't care about how it looks nearly as much as how it plays and that it feels like something that was made this, this decade. Yeah. Because... <laughs> It just, you know, like, the problem with the original, you know, Vanilla Destiny was that it felt like they just took, you know, the, like, some good Halo-style gameplay, but then, like, they just bogged it down with every terrible MMO design really? idea that no, that even MMOs had left behind. And I had never point. been a fan of MMOs. That's why it no. turned me off so much. Well, even MMOs weren't doing that stuff anymore. It was like they, they played, war, it's like they played World of Warcraft in circa 2005, and that was it. Yeah. You know, it was like... It was. It felt like Bungie had never played a game other than their own, and or that in just World of Warcraft. Sort of, but or, <laughs> I mean, it was almost. But even that didn't work as well as a lot of Warcraft stuff. It was almost like it was a. It was an MMO shooter made by people who had once heard of MMOs. Right. Yeah. You know, and like at some point you had to be like. And they're like, oh, but they're, they're all upset that people are using, like, the loot caves and stuff. Like, yeah. do you know why they're doing that? Because your loot system sucks. Right, because it's not fun to do it the way it's supposed to work. I keep turning in work. blue, blue uh, engram things, and I haven't gotten a blue item for a week. Yeah. Like, it does, like, and, you know, and, like, their whole idea of keeping people playing was making the grind interminably awful. Yeah. And MMOs haven't... I mean, that's EverQuest 1 stuff, uh, man. Like, you gotta... Is, yeah. Like, that's 2002 game design. Like, you gotta move on. You gotta make the content worth playing over and over again. Not just making me hope for a Gallerhorn. That's really what it came down yeah. to, ultimately. And... Um, something for a rare drop. Yeah. And, like, you know, the, the subsequent updates have definitely helped that a lot. Uh, the grind is still there, but it's it's shifted in terms of what you're after into more like you know it, 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 a more tangible and steady progression of of you know powering your character up I, even if it's just through like you know slowly crawling up in the defense number yeah um, but you always feel like you're making some kind of progress even if it is slow whereas too much of vanilla destiny was I made no progress tonight because all my stupid blue engrams turned out to be green trash loot yep you know? and that's why I'm excited about destiny too because even though I haven't played all the expansions for the first game just from talking to you and just being a part of the industry, like I get that Bungie is on the right track. Mm -hmm. And so it's been building the sequel with all those right ideas in mind all along. And so it gives me hope that this vanilla game is going to be probably what I had hoped yeah. the first Destiny was going to be. That said, I am not buying that $250 collector's no. edition because that bag is hideous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if anybody's seen the the shot of like what comes it comes with this bag which has like a solar powered USB charger. I don't know what that's based on, but it looks like someone patched it together out of old scarecrows. It's it's Isn't it crazy so how weird. now on the day they announce a game everything's announced. Yeah. Like here's all the things you can give us money for. They put out a trailer for the GameStop exclusive oh, yeah. and the GameStop figurine exclusive you get. Well, and also the GameStop exclusive version of the game 
you get a bunch more stuff you don't get right. anywhere else. That trailer comes out the same day they announce the game. They already have the DLC schedule out. They tell mm. you how much it's going to cost. How many? There's. They already said there's two. I think two story. Well, if, if, at, base at least. DLC. Like those are the, if you buy the deluxe version, uh, certainly the GameStop one, you get um, the first two included. Right. So already the GameStop one is pretty much the best deal. Yeah. Um, which again, yeah, which coming on the heels of what we talked about last week about how there's never really any reason to go into GameStop. Yep. Now they're trying to give you a reason yeah. to go into GameStop. And I will probably get the GameStop version because it is a better deal. But it's like um, everything, box art, like the, everything's there. Oh yeah. And look, there's nothing more infuriating than when you're trying to add a new game to Sifted and you're like looking around trying to find all this stuff that you need to create the game for the site. Destiny was just like... Boom, like, here you go, here's everything, which is nice for that kind of stuff, but it's just crazy to see how the industry has changed just really in the last five years to where you now as a game, like, it's all out there already. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe wait for gameplay or whatever, but as far as, like, all the nuts and bolts of what will I pay, what systems are, is it coming for, what's the key art look like, what's the box, yeah, like, all that stuff You don't want people now. to have questions about that stuff. Yeah. You shouldn't, um, but no. for, it took the industry way too long to figure oh, that yeah. out. Well, you remember the uh, the Deus Ex Mankind Divided original oh, right. pre-order yeah. plan where like, pre like everybody had to pre-order a certain number and you'd unlock more bonuses yeah. than content, and eventually they just scrapped the whole thing and said, nah, here, just, yeah. Yeah, just take everything. <laughs> and the game tanked, yeah. I might add. I wouldn't say tanked, but it did not sell up to expectations and prob may not be coming back. So yeah. Well, now they're making marble games. So How excited are you for Destiny 2? I'm pretty excited. I mean, I, I will... I want to see how it plays. You know, they've, they've talked about kind of the ideas they have where like, they want it to be a more open, more organic game and less of a you know, load map, go, go to this map, load to this map, load to this map, sort of broken up thing. Basically, they don't, they don't want to give me those load screens with the spaceship where I wonder why I'm playing. Yeah. <laughs> like, they want me to just keep going and never think about the fact that it's 3 in the morning. And uh, while that's not going to do wonders for my sleep schedule, it is what I want out of Destiny. I want a more, I want a smoother, I want a more streamlined, I want a more character-driven game. I want something that lives up to the early Halos that that Bungie always showed they had the chops to make, and I want that back. And it looks like they seem almost as frustrated with how the original Destiny turned out as we were. So I'm hoping that you know now that they've kind of got their sea legs on it, they'll be able to deliver what they want to deliver in the first place. You know how the old saying goes, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. You know, I feel like I was fooled the first time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in this position where I'm defensive and I'm like, oh, you know, if I fall forward again, then that's on me, but I can't help it. Like, <laughs> I'm really excited for Destiny 2. Um, I feel like what I was expecting in the first game, granted it's coming two years later, I was really excited for the first Destiny. I'm a big fan of Bungie, uh, big fan of Halo up until Bungie stopped making it. I still like Halo, but I just feel like it lost a little bit of its magic. Um, I feel like, you know, two years under the belt, all the DLC that they put out for it, they, they should have it all figured out by now. Um, I'm really pumped for Destiny 2. I'm, this year in games is just incredible. It is, I really, we talked about it a few weeks ago about, you know, maybe top in 1998. It, to me, it looks like it, it really might. So, hopefully you guys are as excited as we are for Destiny 2 and you guys aren't uh, feeling too burned by the first one. I definitely was salty about the first game for a while. So, I think it's taken this mm. whole time for me to finally get over it to where I'm willing to set myself up to get burned again. So. Yeah. <laughs>
That's what they're counting on. <laughs> it is, yeah. The Activision bread and butter. Yep, we'll see. So, uh, yeah, again, May 18th, we'll get the full gameplay reveal. And so I'm pretty sure uh, we'll probably be talking about it again once we get a look at how it plays. Uh, but for now, that's really all the information that we have. Yeah. Beta in the summer, open to everybody. PC version launches September 8th. So we'll see you in May to talk about it again. Let's move on. We're going to talk about... Another game that everything had been leaked out. Yep. I will say one thing about Sifted Man is that you may not get everything first. So on NeoGAF, I'm sure there's some stories that some kid found and pu published them first. But you get everything every day. And like it's been really crazy over the last few weeks for people to react to stuff that's happened and be like, Oh my gosh, StarCraft Remaster. But that story was on Sifted like two months ago. Mm -hmm. Like, the rumors started bubbling up about it, and we had it, and this happens all the time. Like, people will be like, I didn't even know, and it's like, well, if you were on Sifted, you would have known, because it was on there three weeks ago. This is another case, uh, StarCraft Remaster, um, what is it, PC, PS4, Xbox One? Is it? I didn't know there were console versions. I just, maybe I just assumed that there would be, because... I thought it was just PC. I, I think, actually, I think you're right. Okay, so I said earlier... Chat, chat will know. So I said earlier, full disclosure, that I had never finished a Kingdom Hearts game. Here is my other full disclosure, which is far more embarrassing. I never played the original StarCraft. Lord almighty. Yep. So it came out in 98. And in 1998, that was when I was running my own fan site, um, Street Level Gaming. And... I was covering N64 and Dreamcast, and I've just only had time to play PC games if it was something I really liked, and during that time, I was just playing Star Siege Tribes, mm. like a maniac. Any free time I had away from what I was doing for the website, or going to Temple full-time, or working a job 35 hours a week, I just didn't have time to play it, and I never played it, man. Hmm. Um, so how I excited... I am really excited about this, obviously, because I know it's probably... I think most people would say the best RTS ever. Well, I wouldn't. But what would you say the best one is? My favorite RTS ever is uh, Rise of Nations. Rise of Nations? Wow. Um, well, that's I, also a great pick. And I also like the Dawn of War games a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, pl I did play through uh, StarCraft and Brood Wars, uh, Brood War, the, the campaigns back in the day. Um, I'm not an RTS multiplayer person, yeah. so again, I'm probably not the best person to ask about the best RTS games of all time, because um, I play... I play either campaign or I play like the conquer the map mode, like against the computer. I'm not, I, I for whatever reason, uh, well, most multiplayer things I can hold my own. I don't have the brain or the mind somehow to keep up with RTS strategies. Yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, I just don't like how like so many of the strategies break how things are supposed to work. And, you know, like that whole like, oh, place all your power things in, in the lane so the enemies can't. Like, that's not where you put your generators in right. real life. That doesn't make any, <laughs> they don't put them in front of the enemies. I got, yeah. um, so like, I just, it just, I, I never got into the multiplayer thing. But I, I did finish the uh, campaigns for the original StarCraft and I liked that a lot. I like the, the campaigns in the StarCraft 2. Uh, what I I didn't I, I played StarCraft two. <laughs> I haven't played, <laughs> I played uh, the first one though. I haven't played uh, the second and third StarCraft two. I played the original the, the original one. Yeah, um, I like that a lot too. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm kind of excited to maybe dabble in it again and and you know play the campaign a little bit and make you know see it look nice again because. Um, those were always a lot of fun to look at back in the day. They were very pretty for their time, and the animation had a lot of character to it. And uh, you know Blizzard has always been great at that. Um, 
And it's cool that they, you know, I, I was I was just actually thinking uh, when I saw like this this story, the rumor pop up on Sifted, uh, however many weeks or months ago, I was like, I wonder where my StarCraft discs are, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm like, if I, I'm like, oh, start maybe I have to. And will they work? Where is it? I don't. Know, I, I have no idea where that. I mean, it's probably in a binder back in a closet somewhere. Right. But, but now it's like, oh, I guess I don't need. You don't need my to. Because yeah. you know, like, not only that, but you can you're going to be able to get the uh, the vanilla unremastered versions for free. Right. Yeah. Um, which is a nice thing for Blizzard to do. I honestly um, think this may end up be one of the best selling games of the year on PC. It could be. Yeah. I mean. It's that big. I mean, it didn't this really start esports? Um, I think that's that's definitely a fair fair claim. I think. I mean, this is the certainly, game. Really. Certainly in South Korea, it was yeah. you know, the thing that blew blew the whole competitive gaming up. And I think and it's coming all of with it, all I think the all of that spins out of that. Basically. And it's also it's coming with all that stuff, all the yeah. tournament stuff, and online play, and LAN play, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have that base, that core. Obviously, if a game... I mean, it lasted for, what, like, 14 or 15 years in mm-hmm. Korea is, like, the top most played game? Yeah, it took League of Legends to knock it out. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that, it's just like... If it can sustain intense competition between the best players in the world for that long, you just know the core is just rock solid. And oh, yeah. There's a whole generation of players out there who have never discovered this and don't know, really, mm-hmm. a lot of them, maybe anything about and it. The whole generation is probably, you know, it's like putting on comfortable shoes again. Yeah. It's, it's nice to get back into that groove of a game that you played forever and haven't touched in a while. And now it's going to run like a beast yeah. and... You know, have modern net code and all that. No, type I think of stuff. it's a it's a really smart thing. It's a really good thing for people who love love the original game and and wanted to play. You know, because it doesn't it doesn't upscale too well. Anyways, because I did yeah, play yeah. it because the art is what it is. Right, it's like it's, you know, that's the, the art was created at a certain resolution. In the, in the pre polygon days, the art was the art. You know, yeah. that, that 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 you know that, Whatever that you texture drew. file is only so big. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about how much has changed, but. Uh, I'm excited about this as someone who's never played it. I'm, I can't wait to see what it's all about and to make it easy. It's not like I have to find some, you know... I don't know if my computer would run the original StarCraft at this point. Would it? It, it probably would. Yeah? I mean, it just wouldn't look very good. Yeah. It's so it's like you start thinking it, about it. And you're like, the, one, will it run? Two, I mean, you got to tweak stuff. Like generally, most you can usually find a compatibility mode for just about any old game. Um it's just, but you know it's it's a great remaster. You know it, we are we saw this and there was another uh, '90s era PC remaster that was finally shown, uh, uh, Outcast. That was actually almost um, our trailer of the week. Which, but it uh, was actually swapped out this morning for the something earliest else. voxel games, one of the earliest open, full open world science fiction game from 1999 yep. that almost nobody played. And uh, I'll the, tell you why I know because that was the first year I worked at uh, Gamespot and. Greg Kasavin fought like tooth and nail for that game to mm-hmm. win it, anything it could. <laughs> and it won, I think, Action Adventure of the Year. Yeah, that's that fair. Year. Like, it's great. It looks, it's great. It had a really unique style. It um, it had kind of a French comic book thing. I love that kind of. I'm also looking for you know like like the Fifth Element kind of thing. Yeah. And also, um, uh, I think I bring I bring Mobius up a lot on the show when I talk about my favorite games because um, he's he influences a lot of stuff. And then we've got we've got Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets coming, which is based on the comic books. 
that um, the French comic that uh, Luc Besson stole from to right. make Fifth Element. Yeah, yeah. But the designer for Fifth Element is the guy who made that comic, and now he's making the design for this with Luc Besson. I mean, all <laughs> the circle is complete. But, but Out, Outcast has that kind of same yeah. uh, look to it, and it's really cool that the, these companies are starting to look back at the the that remaster that is extreme. It is. I was like, like whoa. I mean, that's like it's it's. Go, a different go, game. go look at that footage on, on Sifted because it's like the old game, it looked cool for the time, but it was one of those things where you look at like the polygon model of the alien. I'm like, I know, I get you're supposed to be an alien, but I have no idea what you actually look like yeah. because it's just pieces. Well, it was late 90s polygonal graphics. It's like, the best you could do. You know? <laughs> that's the way it was. It was so. like, it's like between that and Ultima Ascension, those were pretty much the only games in town that were trying to do that. On your Voodoo 2 card. And Outcast was way better at it. Than yeah. Ultima Ascension was, if I'm being honest, but uh, um, yeah, I think that, like that era is a, is an is an unmined territory, and uh, it's nice to see Blizzard kind of leading the charge and bringing back one of the greats of 1997. Faux show, sure. and I just admitted one of my guiltiest things in all of gaming for me is that I've never played Starcraft. Yeah, you can so fix that. Finally, got it off my chest. So you can fix that now. All right, let's move along. We're gonna I, talk. I think you'll like that better than Kingdom Hearts One. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to bet that the gameplay of StarCraft has aged Probably a little better. Probably so, yeah. All right, let's move along. We're going to talk next about the Video Game Hall of Fame mm-hmm. that neither one of us have ever been inducted to and probably never will be. Yeah. But... I did attend the first ceremony of it. Though. Yeah, yeah. I remember that was a big deal. Adam hosted it. Yep. And now it's just become kind of blasé. Like, yeah. It was, they put out their press. Like, still get Like anything that happens at the Metreon, really. Yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> They still get mainstream pickup. Like, this story was picked up by CNN and all the big newspapers and everything. Um, So they announced 12 new nominees for uh, games to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. There's only seven in there right now? Yeah, they they move slow. Yeah, so that's a lot of nominees. I question why they do this, because... It's like once you announce this many nominees, aren't you kind of announcing the nominees for the next like five years or something? Sort of, but they just want people to say, "I like that game." And, I, yeah, and I mean, I understand the social media element of it and all that yeah. type of stuff. But anyway, here are the twelve nominees. Because they didn't for... used to do that back in the original first few years. It was just like they're like, "Oh, we're inducting this game." There wasn't and even was nominees. There were nominees. Yeah. yeah, there weren't nominees. It and was... it does make sense. You want people to talk about it. You want right. to put up that article on Facebook and have. 5,000 replies of people arguing over which game should make it in, which is exactly what Matt and I are about to do. <laughs> but anyway, here are the nominees. Uh, Donkey Kong Country. I was surprised to see that be a nominee. I mean, considering there's only seven just, games no, in I thought so it was far. just Donkey Kong. No, it was Donkey Kong Country. They used, The picture was like the little like handheld Donkey Kong game. I don't know. I mean, unless... I think I got this list from... Well, that's, the New York Sony, Times? Sony made a mistake then because the, in the picture, because you know, shows all the game, the boxes, of the games and stuff. It had it's, it's the old 1982 like. Well, maybe the article I got handheld Tomatronic thing. But it, it would be weird for them to add country onto it, don't you think? It would, but but uh, you know, remember some of the some of the people in their 20s writing those those articles yeah. now. They weren't alive. Might not know there was a Donkey <laughs> Kong right. without a country right. on it. You're right. So it's either Donkey Kong or Donkey Kong Country. I'm. I'm I'm like 98% sure it's Donkey Kong. I thought Donkey Kong was already in. No. No? No. Well, then it should be a nominee. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, Halo Combat Evolved, the first Halo, mm-hmm. Microsoft Solitaire, which I guess I can kind of get an, it. An, an important part of everyone's life, I think. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I, don't, I don't know. An important t- uh, part of wasting time at work yes. for everybody. Uh, Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat, Mist, Pokemon Red and Green, the first Resident Evil, Portal, Street Fighter 2, Tomb Raider, and Wii Sports. 
That's the lineup. Is Wii Sports the most recent game? I think it is. Yeah. Yes. By okay. um no Portal is Portal was that before Portal, two, or was, Portal that was Portal was two thousand seven wasn't it? And Wii Sports would have been two thousand six. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, Portal would be the latest. Okay. So what we're gonna do is Matt and I are both going to pick two games that we think from these twelve should make it into the Hall of Fame. We're gonna provide one runner up, and then we're gonna pick our favorite from all the games on mm-hmm. this list. So Matt, you go first with your runner up. My runner up is uh, Pokemon Red and Green. It's a good um, pick. Which, again, it like so many of the games on this list, it should already be in there. Um, but it's like of these, it's just like it's still so relevant. It's influenced so many things. It changed uh, a whole generation, and uh, there's a whole generation that not only identified with it as kids, but rediscovered it in college. That's one of the stories that kid, you know, if you were eight years old in 1998, you will tell the story of how like you you stopped playing Pokemon in high school because it wasn't cool to play Pokemon in high school. Right. And as soon as you got to that dorm room in college, <laughs> it was just like everybody brought their Game Boy, and it was Pokemon time again. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and, and Pokemon Go, uh, oh. you know, Pokemon Go was you know still a phenomenon in a large part because of I think that you know that, that yeah that generation, generation of people now they have smartphones yeah for sure and it just you know it's no signs of stopping it's uh, it's you know it, it I think I think Pokemon has carved out a, a niche in the gaming world that is comparable to something like Mario or Zelda like you know Nintendo's greats of all time uh, which is something that I think at the time people were skeptical of like yeah. even though it had sold incredibly well in Japan there was that I you know it took two years to come here and everyone's like. I don't know if it's gonna really translate to you know American. Um, it's like yeah, it's it's gonna translate just fine. Yeah. It's, it's 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 a tried and true thing. And uh, although Yokai Watch really hasn't. No, but Yokai Watch doesn't play as well. Yeah, oh, you're right. Like, it's it's just, not as good a game. Yeah. No, and it's also I think they limit the 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 monster designs to kind of a yokai like sensibility and whereas pokemon could be anything oh, no po- you're right pokemon could be a trash bag with a face on it you know? <laughs> yeah, some of them are that's, that's like literally what a couple of them are <laughs> and um i it just you know it's just such an important game and such a successful game and such a meaningful game to so many people like you, it's got to be in there all right so my the way i approached this whole thing was i'm like man there's 12 games it's a lot to consider it made it very easy for me to just look at it this way which games either created a new genre or just had the biggest trickle-down and the mm-hmm. most imitators, which would, one, denote it has legs, and two, denote that it, that it was a great idea to begin with because it was popular out of the gate enough that other people imitated it. So my runner-up is Resident Evil, the first Resident Evil. Um, it has spawned, it wouldn't say it spawned a genre, it certainly spawned a sub-genre, yeah. Um, well, the genre existed already because of uh, Alone in the Dark. Yeah, I guess you're right. But it made it popular. It popularized it. I think if Alone yeah. in the Dark had been the only survival horror game that came out, the explosion never would have happened. Oh, yeah, I mean, Resident Evil codified it. Right. But, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, Alone it did in it the better. Dark, Alone in the Dark had the right idea, but flawed execution. Yeah. Alone in the Dark was also, you know, like so many things in this industry, a little too soon. Yeah. Because it just, the tech wasn't there to present what they were trying to present properly. And that happens a lot in, you know, it's not, in the game industry, it's not usually very helpful to be first. No. Uh, and usually it helps more to... In a lot of industries, really. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's the story of Sega. I mean, Sega had yeah. online gaming in 1991. Right. Like, and... 
does anyone care? Did anyone care? Did anyone remember it? No, the infrastructure wasn't there. I thought the, they were crazy. Was not yeah. is not ready. And but like you look back at like what they were doing there, and it's basically in the virtual console. It really, you know, is, and yeah. like, but it was just too soon. And like, Alone of the Dark has always struck me in the same way. Is like they were trying to do this thing that just Capcom saw with the PlayStation One. Like we can make it work better. It also yeah. just wasn't as good. Right. Well, and, also Alone in the Dark was was drawing on Lovecraftian stuff, and uh, Resident Evil went for schlock B-movie horror, which is just a much more universal, appealing idea to most people. I mean, also, Capcom was smart enough to realize that using pre-rendered CG mm. movies was vitally important to creating tone and atmosphere in a game like this and telling a coherent story when the real-time graphics weren't up to mm. the job of doing it. Always important to start with terrible live-action cinemas, like every game back then. Yeah. That's what CDs were for. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, they did CG stuff for this. Um, it, it set a lot of precedents that are still trickling down. Survival horror is still one of the biggest genres in the industry. And so it's I started, changed a lot, but it's still, it, you know. But it's still one, one, I mean, one of the key indie, key genres of the indie game explosion. Indie and VR both. Yeah. They, they make up, like, probably 50% of all the releases for those, for those two platforms. I don't know if platform is the right way to say indie, but... Um, but I started looking through all the other games on these lists, and I'll, almost all of them were like Me Too games, or just like the fifth iteration on an idea. Final Fantasy VII, Halo. I mean, Halo, I, I have no idea why it would even be a nominee other than just the fact that it made console first-person shooters bigger than they had been before. Yeah, I mean, Halo is is kind of what opened the doors to the to the mainstream audience coming in and doing. You know, I mean, GoldenEye. Uh, already sort of had had proven you could do that on a console. Halo kind of brought it in, brought it to the next level, and and then Halo Two, of course, with the online stuff. I think Halo right. Two might almost be more important in that regard. Mortal Kombat. I mean, it, it certainly didn't start a genre, but it did sort of start the discussion on M-rated games, right? It, uh, and pushing it, the boundaries of content. It, it, and... it, it was a, it was the teenage teenager of, of video gaming. It was the it was the one that got us in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I think my next closest pick actually was Mist. Yeah, Mist. But the reason I passed on yeah. Mist was because the genre has kind of disappeared. Yeah, it's I wouldn't bad. call it irrelevant. Like, I'd say it's Simple bad. Park went out right. yesterday. Yeah. The reviews went out yesterday. Huge I, I reviews think that, for that. I think that the, the adventure genre has come back in the last five or so. Again, partly in part to, tell, to Telltale. Uh, and Kickstarter. Come, come back and, in a big way. But it was dead, dead for, for a, a long time over 10 years yeah. i mean it was, it was no no question that the that there was a there's a breaking continuity there that resident evil does not have yeah or survival horror doesn't does not have that i think uh yeah mist i mean maybe next year that would be my thing for mist like eventually eventually yeah. mist should be in there i mean there's so many things that resident evil was kind of the first at like really the first zombie game like it, there's just lots of little things that it did that ended up shaping how games would be made for a long time to come. And so that was why it was my pick. And now, for our winning pick, if we both had one vote to put a game into the Hall of Fame, Matt and I actually ended up picking the same exact game. And that game is, you want to say it together? Yeah. Street, Street Fighter, Fighter 2. 2. Yeah. Guys our age, there's no way we're picking anything no. else. <laughs> there's just no way. And and again, there was kind of a break in the genre yeah. for a while. Although they kept, they were still made, just no one cared. Yeah. Um, and it should also be noted. I mean, look, you can't as you know, as someone who grew up in the arcades, you can't 
oversell how much this game changed that scene. Everything! Because it was dead. Oh, it was, man. Like, you'd go to sad little arcades and, like, the back of 7-Elevens to play, like, you know, sh- like, Raiden. And, or you'd like, be playing at laundromats. Yeah, like, something like that. Gas like some, stations. Some ancient Mr. Do machine that just, like, like no one... Like a Pizza Hut yeah. by the men's room door. Like, oh, well, yeah, we'll go to the pizza place <laughs> that still has the road blasters with one button that works. Kind yeah. of thing. Like, and, then, and then Street Fighter 2 hit and arcades were it again for a long time for a lot yeah, for years i People, mean when know, i was in college still the game had been out oh, yeah. for years and years and at at my breaks i went to the little mini arcade at the student union and put my quarters up until i oh, ran yeah. out of time and there was 10 or 15 people in line waiting to put their quarters up like uh, well and it i went to well i went to college uh started fall 94 which was three years after Street Fighter 2 hit. And I remember the first week I was there, the door, one, this guy down the hall leans out, the, leans out and goes, goes, we're playing Street Fighter on Super Nintendo down here. I know there's nerds in here. Get in here. We're going to bond <laughs> over some Street Fighter. And I, yeah, I fucking went. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's what I did. I played Mortal Kombat 2 and Super Street Fighter Turbo on the Super Nintendo. And that's how I got to know my first people in college. Yeah. But um, I mean, look, there were fighting games before Street were. Fighter 2. Street Fighter 1. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cared right, about Right, but they were all terrible. Right. I wouldn't say terrible. Like, I, Karate Champ was okay. Yar Kung Fu had its moments. But like, Street I was Fighter the Yar Kung Fu guy. I played that. Yeah. Was a, karate champ like that game is so bad yeah like it's so bad especially the arcade where it was like, controlled with two joysticks yeah it was like <laughs> it was like the most like well did you ever play the street fighter one version with the the pneumatic button no uh uh-uh. so there was two versions of street fighter one that was the one where um you know you had the six button layout that everybody knows about and i, rem- yeah. I do remember as a kid staring at that and just like Jab, forward, fear. What? What is it? All yeah. That? Um, but there was another version of the arcade. The arcade I used to go to briefly had where it was just two giant buttons. It was a punch and kick, and they had like a pneumatic system where the harder you pressed it, the harder the. It's still the three different power levels, but you had to push it harder to get, to the, get the harder level. Interesting. And the problem was I the air bladder that. or whatever that like caused like, it would wear pop out. and wear out, and yeah. so like it it was only there for like. Um, like a couple weeks or something, and one of the one of the kids who was playing got mad and punched uh, the thing and, and broke it. it. Yeah. And so the guy, the arcade owner, like actually returned it and got the six button one to replace it. Um, and still, it did, nobody really played it because it was so hard. And and like that was, people forget, like no one plays Street Fighter One nostalgically anymore, except some probably some real specific people, because like. It was terrible. It's not good. It was yeah. not good. You, you can only play as Ken and Ryu uh, multiplayer. It was. It yeah. was not. You know, Street Fighter Two. You forget was kind of an accident in some ways. Like the combos were a glitch. Uh huh. They didn't intend yeah, it to be that. Yeah. And, and it just. They're like, wait a minute. It found it, and you, and you forget like how much you know how much was the community like rumors from different arcades about how you know Chun Li can throw her bracelets and right, Kyle yeah. can put you in handcuffs and all the you know, like all that stuff. It was great. It, it was, really was. And, it was a, there was a culture around it. And all the way up until probably almost two thousand people were you know, one of if you know you don't think about it now because they don't do it this way, but like if you're gonna make like a shovelware quick and dirty, let's get a game on the shelf, you're gonna make a shitty fighting game. Oh yeah. Like yeah. there's legions of them. Yep. Just on the N sixty four alone. Oh yeah. Clay Fighter sixty three and a third. Biofreaks. <laughs> Biofreaks, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that one. Mace the Dark Age. That's like right, just yeah. all those terrible three D fighting games. <laughs> but it was it was yeah. a phenomenon. It all comes from Street Fighter. Oh, too. for sure. Uh, I mean honestly, if somebody said, Hey, we're gonna put you on a desert island and you can play one fighting game for the rest of your life, I think I would still make a Street Fighter 2. 
I might ask for the champion edition. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. With as many characters as possible. Right. But that style of play, that is what I would choose. I still love playing Street Fighter mm -hmm. 2 all these years later. It has aged remarkably oh, yeah. well. I can still play that all night against them. Yeah, it's, it's still like, it's very fun. well balanced. I mean, you know, obviously as iterations came and they balanced it a little better, I mean, I would prefer to have that than the, right. the first version they sent out to arcades, but... It's just, it stands the test of time. It's still, like, yeah. and it's one of those games that everybody knows, like, everybody knows what Street Fighter is. Like, if you have a conversation about games and someone who's our age will be like, oh, I used to play Street Fighter in the arcades way back, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, it's just an icon. And yeah. it always will be. And uh, if, if that is not one of the games that gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, there's going to be riots. Yep. Street riots. <laughs> street riots. Fighting in the we're street. We're going to roll barrels at them. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to beat their car beat up. Beat their cars with our fists. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, it's, it's, you, you can't get better than, than that. And I also give Street Fighter credit for like the comeback yeah. in 2008 when yeah, like all, yeah, of a, sure. all of a sudden Street Fighter 4 brought it all back home yep. and now fighting games are a thing again and it now it's, it's starting to go back down right <laughs> Street Fighter 5 has been a pretty monumental failure so. but I think the community is still there and yeah. Marvel, Marvel 4 will reinvigorate some of it um, it's just for a long time the fighting game community scene was basically dedicated people playing in ballrooms they rented and homes yeah. and, and arcades when they could find them and, and Street Fighter 4 once again, revolutionized how that's, that's, that media is consumed. And now you've got them on the floor of Mandalay Bay playing for the championship at EVO on ESPN2. That's pretty crazy. And that's all Street Fighter. It really is. It all started there. Yeah. yeah. Hall of Fame. Hall yes. of Fame. It better win. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our last topic of the episode. I'm going to talk about Persona 5. And I have to admit that I have not played this as much as I had hoped I was going to play it before I came to record Game Face episode 81 today. I had hoped I would have at least 10 to 12 hours in the game. I have not got there. I am mm. about three or four hours into it so far. The embargo, the game, the embargo is up already. I didn't get it until like later than like GameSpot and IGN and some of the other guys. I got it with like the second round of codes that went out. Um, and it comes out the fourth, which is like next week. Based upon what I've read about this, I'm not going to have it done for embargo. I thought Mass Effect was a big game. Apparently, this game is like a hundred hours, like period, to finish. Mm. Oh, so, the Persona games are no joke. Yeah. So I have literally, like, if this, if Persona Five was a soda, like, I just popped the top of it and a drop flew out and landed on the table. That's about <laughs> how much of it I've consumed at this point. But uh, I have kind of got the lay of the land. I've played enough to kind of see how everything works and the graphics and how they work. The first thing I would say is, like, the stuff that you're seeing here, this is, like, how the game is. Um, I think every single review that's come out for it so far is stylish. It's in the, like, mm -hmm. subtitle for the review. Persona 5 review, colon, blah, 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 stylish. Stylish, blah, 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 how, whatever. And it, that's right. It is an incredibly stylish game. It's almost like... Um, if epilepsy made had sex with a video game, <laughs> it's like the best way to describe it. Like, because there's just constant like graphical overlays and cut-ins and split screens and things happen really fast in a flash and then they're gone. Like it's an ADD JRPG is mm. probably a good way to to describe it. Um, 
let's see. I guess the best thing I could do is kind of set up the plot. So basically, you're this young teenager who's walking down the street at night one, one night, and you see this woman getting accosted by this dude. He's, I wouldn't know if he's, I would say he's trying to rape her, but it's a rapey situation, I guess is the best way to put it. You step in and you stand up for her. It turns out the guy is a big government official or whatever, and he ends up suing you. You end up going to court and losing and going to jail. And basically what happens is you get sent away to live with this person, which they never, at least for, from what I've played so far, they never really explain who the guy is, like if he's the uncle or whatever. He's just this dude that owns like a restaurant. And you move in with him for a year's time because you got in trouble back at home or whatever. So he bunks you up in this crappy room in the back of his restaurant or whatever, and your adventure essentially begins. Um, one thing I would say is that the graphics engine used for this game is really bad. Like <laughs> They do a really good job of covering up the fact that this engine, I mean, the engine really, if you look at it from a technical perspective, how many polygons it's pushing, um, the effects that it's firing off, it is literally like last gen. And I'm not even exaggerating. But Atlas does a great job of spicing it up with the art style and all the anime overlays and the presentation. So when you play it, you, you don't really notice like it's when you stop and you just kind of sit and like look at like the character models and the way the rooms are modeled and everything. It's very simple geometry, mm. um, but they do a great job of spicing it up with a lot of kind of the the special effects that they uh, that they throw into it. This, by the way, is the very beginning of the game. This is we've shown this gameplay before. Um, this is the first thing that you do when you start playing, um, and as you can see, there's some. Um, there's like platforming in it, but it's all automatic. It's not like you can actually miss a jump and like fall off and die or anything like that, which makes me wonder why they even make you press a button for it at all. But um, uh, combat, I've been playing for a handful of hours. I haven't even really gotten that many fights. There is a lot of exposition in this game. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Persona 4 is like... Basically, Persona 4's beginning is about six hours long. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the way this is. It's just like one cinema after another. Like, you go through this... At the end of this kind of little gameplay section, you go through this whole <coughs> scene in the police station. Um, For whatever reason, though, I think one of the real appeals of the Persona games, at least, certainly at least three onward, uh, has been the fact that they will... Like capture the mundanity of day-to-day -day existence. They do mixed in with this crazy demon stuff that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really got to the crazy demon stuff, other than like these battles, these early battles that you have with demon-like creatures. Like they haven't really got into the whole mm. persona part of the game yet, so to speak. I'm still really kind of in the tutorial for the game, which is crazy. That I've been playing it for so long, and they're still teaching me how to play it. Um, one thing I would say, the writing in this game is not good at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just overly wordy. I feel like basically what happened was they recorded the Japanese the cat the cutscenes in Japanese, and then they were like, "Okay, we have to fill this much time, and each character has to have X <laughs> number of lines." So it's like in the Japanese version, the cop said something five times. The lead character said something four times. We need to figure out how to fill in all those lines with dialogue. Dialogue. So what you end up getting is a lot of just 
pointless banter back and forth that really has nothing to do with anything. Um, and look, a game this big, I understand translating it is a huge monumental job, but I think this might be one of those cases where it might be better to play it in Japanese. <laughs> and I think it does actually have the Japanese uh, voice, voice acting. Like, yeah, that's pretty standard these days. Um, Atlas. I've been playing it in English, and it's not good, a lot of it. Um, I'll probably play it in Japanese because otherwise my girlfriend will yell at me. Does she understand Japanese? No, but she prefers <laughs> not to hear the bad English voice acting. And it is, it is pretty bad. Um, like, there's... I will say one thing. The whole thing is voiced. Like, there's very little reading. Like, pretty much every little line that you that you could read is voiced by mm -hmm. somebody. So they have done a ton of work. I mean, that's one thing, you know, I would say is it's is it better to get something voiced and have it not be good and just or just use text? Eh, it depends. I mean, as long as I can, if I want to, I can jump through the text and skip the diet the, the voice. Yeah. I'm fine with it. I mean, honestly, I generally don't do that, but like yeah. it's nice to have the option to just sort of if I'm tired of listening to you, I can just Jump through and get to the fight. I found myself jumping through a lot of dialogue in this. Because I can read pretty quick. Mm -hmm. And so I just literally, I just see it long enough to read that's it. Also, that's why I turn off subtitles, because otherwise I'm, I'm two lines ahead of everybody, and I, I'm just waiting for you to talk, and that's yeah. no fun. Yeah. And uh, I literally am just like, that's the speed that I'm like going through. Cause it's like, I was doing that with Nier Automata. Yeah. Or Automata, or whatever. I'm, yeah. But they do that too. They like most a lot of the lines are voiced with the text box coming up. I'm just like, no, finish the text box. We gotta move. We gotta go. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I probably will try to not do that with Persona Five because I do find Persona 5's, uh premise more engaging. But um, it, I think it does help to use the Japanese voice acting because when you don't understand what someone is saying in your head and you, then you read the subtitle, you can kind of make it sound good in your head. Yeah, yeah. You know. Like, well, it's, like, it's funny, back when I used to do interviews with a lot of Japanese developers, every time I'd finish an interview, and they always have a translator, they're translating it or whatever, a lot of times when I'd finish an interview, the translator or the PR person for the company would be like, you understand Japanese? And I'd be like, I don't un I understand like 10 <laughs> words of Japanese. And they're like, but you're reacting the whole time exactly how you should have been. Mm. Like when he would say something profound, you would like cock your eyebrow. Mm. And he's like, I could have swore that you were fluent in Japanese. I'm like, I didn't understand a word yeah. he said. But other I do than, know what tone other is. Than I must. Like, <laughs> and so it is funny. Like, you can still kind of pick up on inflection yeah. clues and things like that, yeah. even if you don't quite understand the language. Um, I think I'm going to stick with English because I am evaluating the game, and I kind of need to know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I did something like that once where I was in I was in France, and this woman asked me, asked me something in French, and I... I you know, I don't speak much French. I I under I can read it because I understand a lot of Spanish, but I don't know how it's pronounced. Yeah, French doesn't pronounce half the damn consonants. Right. And um, and I said, and but I knew what she asked me had to be because of tone inflection and the nature of the conversation. Do you speak French? Yeah. And I said no. And she's like, well, then how did you know what I said? I'm like, what else would you say? And I got her, she got really mad that I had, <laughs> that I understood what she said, but I didn't understand French. But I just said no. Right. And yeah. for whatever reason, that really bothered her. I could actually kind of understand. <laughs> that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so I'm look. I'm going to play it in English, um, and it is fast. Like you don't have to sit there and listen to every line that they read. You can skip through it, and like it's only like a sentence, so you can read it very quickly, just to get in a flash of it. 
Um, so it's not that big a deal. The script is overly wordy, and there's tons and tons of lines that really accomplish little to nothing. But it's not that much of a hindrance. Um, you cannot share media in this game. Yeah, I read that. The share button is completely disabled. It's so you, true of the Japanese version as well. Yeah, I didn't even know that. But it doesn't work in this game, and I've discovered why. It's because Atlas is afraid, and it will definitely happen anyway, that people are just going to record all the anime scenes and just splice them together into a movie. Because they're amazing. The, the anime in this is really, really freaking good and really interesting. And I've been paying attention just to the anime cutscenes to see if they alone tell a coherent story. And sure enough, they do. So it's, eventually it's going to happen. Someone's going to record the whole game. They're just going to clip together all the anime yeah, cutscenes. I mean, it's, like it's called an Elgato. Right. You know? <laughs> and I mean, and essentially, you're going to have this awesome anime film that... Probably, if you think about it, Atlas probably spent the same amount of money to have these cutscenes made mm -hmm. by a studio as if you would commission that studio to make a feature-length film. Yeah, it may even the, be more. For the size of the game, it's, you know, they probably add up to about feature-length. Oh, it, I'm guessing more. Like, I feel like already in the first handful of hours, I've seen probably an hour of anime. Like, it is, and again, it's the beginning of the game, so you know, you're going to get story-heavy. They're introducing a lot of characters, a lot of settings, a lot of situations and things like that so it's probably a little heavier right now than it would be later on but i've already seen like an hour of anime and a great anime um i've been really impressed with it in fact you know despite its technical shortcomings the presentation in this game i absolutely love it it is really freaking cool like they they chose a style they put their stake in the ground and they totally stuck to it um my girlfriend is harassing me via text saying that she is partly fluent Okay. And that's <laughs> so she's what watching she the show right now. That, that's what she prefers <laughs> ja the, me to play in Japanese because she wants to hear the Japanese and not the gotcha. English voices. Fair enough. Uh, the, the point is that the, the, nobody wants to hear the English voices <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. But I was, uh, I was just compelled to set the record straight on that one. Yep. Uh, <laughs> gameplay, like I said, I haven't got deep into the gameplay systems yet, but... Just aesthetically, very, very satisfying. Even, like, your base attacks feel so good to pull off. Uh, the animation for them, incredible. Again, the art style stays consistent all the way across. Um, I guess the best way I could describe Persona 5 as a whole is you could tell that it was just a passion project for whoever worked on it. Like, it is... It's like a boutique video game. Hmm. It's, it's another way I would probably describe it. You can just see that... One, the people who worked on it were very close, and they all had a unified vision. And two, whoever the director was, never let them stray from that. And, and just kind of stuck the landing and, and stood there for however long the game lasts. Um, I'm having fun with it. I'm thinking about going back to it right now. That's always a sign of a game that's good, is when you're away from it, and it's got that thing in the back of your mind saying you want to go play, you want to go play. And um, it looks like it, one, of, one of your high picks for the fantasy draft finally oh paid yeah, off. Might finally actually deliver, yeah. It's too late now, but uh, but yeah, I again just based on the first handful of hours of this, I you know looking at the reviews that are out there so far, what I've played, I see no issue with them. Um, maybe someday Atlas will get a modern graphics engine. I can yeah, imagine well, what they would do, but I mean, is, what, this is also it's just also on PS3, right? Yeah, it yeah, is, so. and I didn't get the PS3 version. I only got the PS4, so I don't know how it looks compared to PS4. But uh, the PS3 version coming out here? I don't think it is I think actually. It's just PS4, I think they're yeah. only putting out the PS4 here. Probably um, smart. PS3 came out in Japan, Man, obviously, yeah. but not here. Um, but you know, there's so much flash and pizzazz. I love that word. Hmm. <laughs> 
in this game that you'll never really notice its technical shortcomings. It's just me as a journalist. It's just one of those things that you do, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is, you know, it's a turn-based JRPG, but you can run freely through the environments. There's, like, a cover system and, like, all these strange, like, context-sensitive, like, actions you can take. I mean, it's unique. There's really no other game like it. I guess is a, another good way to describe it, is that it's a completely different experience from anything other than maybe Persona 4. Mm. Um, but even it does, doesn't have the panache that this game has. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I yeah, wish I could Persona have... Persona 4 definitely has a visual style, but doesn't have anything on the level of what you see from this. Yeah, exactly. In this red and black aesthetic, it, all of it, the fonts and all this stuff, it carries through for the whole game. Um, they stick it, without a doubt, and stick to it. So, very auspicious beginning to the game for, for me. Um, based upon what I've played so far, the reviews seem to be fine. They don't seem to be straying outside of what I've experienced playing it. Um, I wish I could have had the game of Val for this done for Tuesday. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm probably going to play it all freaking weekend. So, uh, probably on Tuesday at the very least, maybe I give, deliver like a pre-review. Because by then I'll probably be 30 hours deep. Uh, maybe I'll deliver impressions for you guys, or maybe do like a hangout or something, and uh, maybe deliver some of my opinions on the game then. So kind of look out on the site for something like that. I'm not going to just let it uh, come uh, to release without giving you guys more opinion than I've given you on this show, because I don't feel like what I've given you today is adequate uh, for you to help decide whether you want to buy the game or not. So look out for me, uh, looking out for you in the next few days uh, to deliver uh, more impressions before Game Face. And then next week's Game Face, the floodgates will be open and... Hopefully by then you'll have been playing a little yeah, bit. Mine should, mine should be here on Tuesday. Okay. Uh, you got an ETA on the Mass Effect eval? It went up. Did it? Yeah, it went up. I'm, I haven't looked today. Oh, yeah. No, it went up like two days ago or three days ago. I didn't see it. Yeah. I'll have to go back and We look. did a lot of coverage of Android. I saw the Hangout, but I didn't see... We did and, a lot of the coverage. the boss... We did... Uh, crap. What's the, what's the boss battle? Bad dudes. Bad dudes. Yeah, so we did a bunch of coverage of Andromeda. We did... A multiplayer hangout. Then we did a campaign hangout. Then we put up the eval, and then we did bad dudes. So it probably just all got lost in the shuffle, but we put up the eval several days ago. So it's up there if you want to take a peek. Uh, Let's see. That's it for today's show, other than our trailer of the week. And like I said earlier, I had one trailer that was supposed to be the trailer of the week, and then this morning it was all changed because a brand new game was announced. Total War Warhammer 2 was announced today. And uh, I know you'd be like, oh, why is that trailer of the week? Because their trailers, their debut trailers are freaking amazing. Um, I remember that was one of the first ever trailers of the week on yeah. Game Face way back in the day. In fact, when I saw this at first uh, early this morning, I thought, uh, I thought it was an early April Fool's joke. Yeah, yeah. There are April Fool's jokes rolling out there. Like uh, Final Fantasy fourteen mm-hmm. did like an 8 or 16-bit like version of it and... World of Tanks did a trailer where it's like World of Tanks on the on Mars or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, just a word of caution. The gaming industry loves April Fool's Day jokes. So, there's going to be weird stuff floating out. I mean, it's not even April Fool's. That's tomorrow. No. There's going to be weird stuff floating out there. Don't believe Grand everything predict- you see. And don't forget, one of the best April Fool's jokes of all time, Street Fighter 2. That's right. There you go. Perfect timing. So... Don't believe everything you see for the next 24 to 48 yeah. hours. Like, if you see something and you're like, what? It's probably an April Fool's joke. This, however, is not. This is the debut trailer for Total War Warhammer 2. Get those questions in.
about that. Yeah. Cash me out. <laughs> I mean, I I only just got Total War Warhammer One. So. Yeah. I uh, I got a review code for the first one, and man, I got like three or four hours into it, and I was just overwhelmed. Those mm-hmm. games are insane. Oh, Total War games are like they're, they're, that's one of the series I think would be one of the series I'd like to get into, but I just don't have the time, patience, or skill. Like, it's like they put out trailers for the first one still for like DLC. It's like they're speaking another language. <laughs> like I don't even know what the hell they're. We we're trying to figure out like the blurb, and you're like. What the hell does this mean? I have no idea. I understand stuff. I mean, I, all my working Warhammer... You have to understand Warhammer, understand Warhammer yeah. really well. All my working Warhammer 40,000 knowledge basically comes from uh, Dawn of War. Yeah. The Dawn of War games. Yeah. Although this this week, uh, the Humble Bundle, one of the Humble Book Bundles is uh, the entire uh, Horus, er- Her- Her- <clears throat> Horus Heresy uh, cycle. All the like It's like 15, 16 books... Warhammer 40k books, all about like the 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 lore and the and the story behind. I never all had any stuff. idea there were that that many books. Period. In oh, the, the, the what's called the fluff, like it's it's endless. Really. Like, it's, the 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 lore and the backstory on Warhammer 40k is fascinating. Like it just goes on and on. Is it and good? On. Yeah, <laughs> and people keep reading it. Though. I read synopses. I don't. Re- I haven't read any of the books. I read like the you know the wiki and stuff and, and all the synopses of all the different like. Uh, you know all the different like units and and races and wars they've had and what it's. I, I think it's. Fa- I don't have any interest in the miniatures game at all because I I just don't. I don't, they cost too much and I don't want to paint the little faces. Yeah. But like um, like I find like the backstory stuff fascinating in a really like cheesy like way. I I think I feel like it's feel like it might be meant to be satire to some degree, but nobody takes it as that anymore because it's like so grim dark. Yeah, you know, that's where. Grimdark comes from yeah. the the term Grimdark is like, you know in the far far future of you know in the grim darkness of the far future there is only war and it's pretty it's it's fun it's stupid it doesn't it's sound fun it's fun <laughs> That's the last word I maybe had, maybe had to grow up with Vampire the Masquerade I don't know yeah. but it was, I I think it's really interesting uh, somebody so here, someone wants you to answer kind of the question that I answered already during this show is what game did you never get around to? This is from Erebus Jones. What game did you never get around to that you regret now? Um, hmm. There's not there aren't really too many games I haven't gotten around to. I think one of the ones that I didn't play until very recently that I wish I'd played earlier would probably be Earthbound. Oh wow! Um, which I didn't play until probably 2011 or so. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are guilty of that, though. That's uh, a pretty common. Yeah, I mean, I, and the, well, part it bothers me partly because the video store I worked in the summer of 1995 had a full box copy of it for like 20 bucks. Like they just they were clearing out their 16-bit stuff, and Earthbound in the box with the you know the tall box with the strategy guide or whatever it came with. It was one. Of, it was like twenty bucks, and for my employee discount, I could have gotten it for like fifteen bucks, and I just never did it. Yeah. And like now, it's like three hundred to get a copy of that game, you know. Yeah. And I just and I feel like if I I just didn't wasn't interested in the cover, I wasn't paying attention to what it is or whatever. And I just feel like if I'd played it back then, I would have loved it then as well. And like, well, I, think, I just feel like I missed so many years of being an Earthbound fan. Well, yeah, I think as you get older, you're a little more sensitive to things like that. Like you're. When you're younger, you kind of have built up in your mind what you like and you don't like. It's like, I remember when I was a kid, people would be like, well, what do you like? And I could tell them right away what I liked. Mm-hmm. I like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I like Mario, and like I had a list of things I was ready to rattle off. 
And it's like anything that isn't that, you're like, well, screw that. I don't even care. And so I can see where, like, you look at the Earthbound box and you're like, what is this stuff? Mm-hmm. This doesn't look like Final Fantasy or whatever you were into at the time. When you get older, that changes. You, you get tired of the stuff that you used to like, and you're always looking for new stuff to like. And uh, it makes your, I think it makes your mind a little more open mm-hmm. to new possibilities. So better late than never, I like to say. Whereas Ryan Stevens likes to say, better late than pregnant. Uh, Danny Endurance, have y'all played Snake Pass yet? I have not. I have not. There you go. <laughs> that one was easy. I've got, there's a bunch of those like smaller indie games I, I wanted to get to, but I didn't, and I included Snake Pass and uh, uh, the Ron Gilbert game. You just mentioned it. Thimble, was Thimbleweed? Thimbleweed Park. Thimbleweed yeah. Park. Like, you know, all that stuff is stuff I wanted to play, but I just didn't get around to. Here's a good one from Killzone 310. Why won't anyone sleep with me in Mass Effect Andromeda? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta work for that in you that do. game. I, I've, I've seen that I already. mean, look, there's a natural a set of things that you can do to make it happen, but like it's like I said, we were talking last week, I still hadn't sealed the deal or whatever. I eventually did. But you have to keep chatting them up. It's very obvious. Just always select the option that has the heart in it, and you have to do their loyalty missions. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, the redhead, Suvi, that was who I wanted the whole time. And she tells you right out of the gate, like, no. Like, <laughs> I don't mess around with crew members and blah. And I really she thought... Really? That's what she says, yeah. Because I'm playing femme, female, I'm playing Lady Rider. And, and my, my first option with a heart for her was like, oh, I think you're cute. And she's like, yeah, I think you're pretty cute. Like, she was really? like super into it. Yeah. Wow. Well, for me, I had to work for it. I mean, work. Like, I didn't, like, till the end of the game, till I finally got her to come Hmm. around. Like, and her loyalty missions, for me, opened up later as well. So, I, uh, that's the the routine, though. You have to select all the hard options when you talk with them, and then you have to do the loyalty missions. And you have to come back and just keep being, I was going to say banging on them. (laughs) You have to keep being persistent. Um, And eventually it should happen. Some of the girls, it was easy. Like, there's the reporter girl. That girl wanted to jump in bed after I talked to her like the second time. Mm. I actually had to tell her no that I didn't want to have anything to do with her <laughs> to get her like away from me. So a lot of it just depends on which uh, person you're trying to hook up with. But loyalty missions are the most important yeah. thing to make. So it she happen. Has, that character hasn't done that to me because I guess she doesn't swing that way. I guess that's so. crazy. Uh, Shelburne asked what my final verdict on Mass Effect Andromeda is, and I said I haven't finished it. I haven't. I I think I'm like. 50% through the story, according to the percentage thing. Have you got to the big plot twist yet? No. Oh, okay. You'll know it when you get it. Like, I'm just, to. I'm I'm getting there. I'm just, I'm just not too motivated. And when Kingdom Hearts came out, I just sort of shifted to that. Um, I haven't, it, 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 I keep falling asleep playing Mass Effect. I, I hate to keep harping on the fact that it's just not doing it for me, but uh, it's not doing it for me. Uh, let's see... Here's a good one. Danny Endurance, do you think a game will ever come along that tops your current all-time favorite? Oh, well, my current all-time favorite is Shadow of the Colossus. Um, that's a hard one to beat. Yeah. Uh, my previous favorite was Ponzer Dragoon Saga. Um, so about every eight to ten years was kind of the rule before. And so what, uh, Shadow of the Colossus was 2004, so we're 13 years in on that one. I don't know. I mean, I was kind of hoping The Last Guardian would, and boy, it didn't. And yeah. uh, I don't know. I Because my favorite game tends to be 
just you know, not that I'm saying it's the best game I've ever played, but it's right. just the game that that I enjoyed and spoke to me the most. And it's just like that aesthetic, kind of you know, you don't get that kind of thing very often. You know, you, you, again, I'm gonna bring up Mobius again. You know, it's like you know, Panzer Dragoon Saga had that too. It's like yeah. that that sort of fantastical element that you just it's that little you can't quite say what it is but it's that's what speaks to me and, and captures my imagination in those games and uh, people don't really make games like that much so I guess I'm just sort of waiting for another Shadow of the Colossus maybe the, what was that Kickstarter game with the Prey of the Gods or something yeah. like that like that looks like it could be up my alley in that regard I think it was I, picked up by a publisher as well was it? yeah like I'm, I got my eye on that one, but I don't know. Like yeah, I, I, yeah, I certainly didn't expect Shadow of the Colossus to be my favorite yeah. game ever either. Yeah, they, they come out of nowhere, you they know, do. so it, it could be anywhere. Could could be right around the corner. I honestly don't even like have a favorite game of all time, um, because it's like games are released in a moment in time, and it's like okay, well, I really enjoyed that game then, but then you go back and play them later, and you're like, well, mm. like I think maybe Shenmue might be a game for you where. Moment in time, amazing. Now p- trying to play it years later. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Because we did, some of my online friends years ago, I want to say around 2002-ish, we all decided to do a top 100 list of all time. Yeah. And we all did. We did a rank 200 list. And my top 10, my top 10 is probably pretty, you know, I'd say half of it is still in the top 10. Yeah. Um, but a lot of like you know, like I think I put Shenmue two at like number six or something. Right. It wouldn't, it probably wouldn't make the top twenty five now. Yeah. Um, just because, th- and that's one of the things about Shadow of the Colossus is if I go back to Shadow of the Colossus, either the original or the HD remaster, like I still feel that way when I play. I still get same with Panzer Dragoon Saga, although I had to use, you know, I had to put the discs in for you know, use an emulator now because my yeah. Saturn melted basically. The Saturns haven't lasted very well. Yeah, they have battery problems. Yeah. Um, but I played that. And I still play, I still played through it a couple of years ago, and I still loved it. You know, it's still and it's ugly, and it's really hard to look at now. But like, and they really should do a remaster. But I know they lost the source code. But um, like I keep the longevity. Like I don't give something that title lightly or early. You know, like I didn't say that about Shadow of the Colossus immediately. But I right. think like three or four. It was, I think it was like. Two or three years later, when I had to play it for um, Cheat, when we brought Cheat back, uh, one of the episodes was going to be all about getting time trial times on Shadow of the Colossus, and uh, I had to pl- replay through it again with all the Shadow. And I, I still loved every second of it. And I, and I hate time trials. I, I don't like timed things in games, but I enjoyed doing it in this game just because I loved everything about how it played, even yeah. the annoying things. So it has to be a game like that, and it'll probably be a couple years before I realize it's my new favorite game. Yeah. It's a hard question. It is a hard question, and I think, um, really, if you look at things even-handedly, most of the best games ever made have been made in the last, like, two years. I mean, if you really look at it unbiased, it's like they have the best graphics, they have the best gameplay, they have the most features. Um, but there's different ways to look at it. You can say, what's the greatest game of all time? Or you can say, what game impacted you the most when you played it? And that's how I tend to look at, like, what is my all-time favorite games. I tend to look at, like, what, how did they hit me whenever they were released, not how they're hitting me now. And I just think, for me personally, like, it's, you're never going to be able to topple the first time you experience certain things. Like, I don't think you can, you can topple the first time you ever played the first great polygonal 3D game, Super Mario 64. Like, I just don't think I'll ever be able to replicate the feeling that I felt the first time I played that game. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to replicate 
the first time I played Wii Sports. I mean, you know, we kind of banged on it earlier for being a nominee for the Hall of Fame, but, you know, the first time I played Wii Sports, I was like, holy crap, like, this actually feels like I'm kind of really doing this, and I've never really felt that in a game before. And you can go back through time, and there's all these kind of touchstone moments uh, where you do things for the first time, the technology kind of makes sense for the first time. I mean, just the first time putting on a VR helmet and just looking around, like... Those are the moments that stick with me. Um, sometimes even more so than just games, like that one moment. Like just, mm. I've, I don't know if I've told the story on this show before, but the first time my mom played Super Mario 64, and I put the controller in her hand, and she didn't know anything. And I, I grabbed her hands and put her hands on the controller and put her thumb on the stick. And she was afraid to push the stick. I don't know if she was afraid it was going to break or whatever, but she was like tiptoeing. I'm like, push the stick harder. And then he starts, like, walking and skipping. I'm like, push it all the way. And he starts running. And she just busts out into laughter. I mean, just laughter. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever see moments like that again in mm. video games. I just, maybe, maybe something happens. Maybe eventually the holodeck is real and it <laughs> hundreds of years. I don't know. But those landmark moments. And then, you know, I always go back to o Ocarina of Time because, you know, we played the 3D games up until that point. But then Ocarina of Time was really the game that kind of figured it all out and said, this is how we're going to play games from this perspective in the foreseeable future. And as it turned out, more than the foreseeable future. So I think it's a hard question to answer. And I really have never had like an all-time favorite game. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, I guess it's kind of a cop-out answer. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I tend to separate the technical marvels from the, the game. You know, like Super Mario 64, I have the most stories like what you told the story about your mom. I can tell like four or five stories like that about my yeah. friends or whatever. But I like Banjo Kazooie better than Super Mario 64. It's a better game. So, yeah. yeah. And so, like, that's what I was saying. Like, yeah. all the best games really have come out in the last couple years, yeah. save for a few examples, because everything has evolved. Like, the the work the best indie developer is probably better than the best indie developer from 15 years ago, mm. because the tools are all there. It makes everything so easy. You're not doing everything by scratch or by hand anymore. The middleware is so good. Um, it's just it's comparing apples and oranges in a lot of ways. I think. Uh, Shardin 112, thank you, Civic Games, for this time slot. Will there be more in the future? And do you check stats to see which time has many has more viewers? I do not. <laughs> I do not. I don't check any stats on our live streams because honestly, they don't. They don't really matter to us uh, as a business. Um, we make nothing off streaming on Twitch. The only reason we do it is to try and get new subscribers, and I think that has never happened. Honestly. I think in the whole time Sifted has existed, I have not had, at least no one's ever told me, not once, that they discovered Sifted watching Game Face and then subscribed. Hmm. I, I mean, after years of doing this, I think that people who only watch uh, our stuff on Twitch just want the free ride. And they like the show, but they don't want to pay for it. So uh, because there's really no business impact on our business from Twitch, I don't really look at the stats at all. I'm always appreciative that you guys are on, uh, but it tends to be the same people every week. Like, it's so much so that, you know, I can typically spot somebody who's never been on our stream before, and I'll be like, oh, hey, welcome. Thanks for checking out the stream for the first time. So um, as far as stats are concerned, I really have no idea which one's doing better. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I still think I prefer Thursday nights. Mm. I just feel like Friday is kind of like... A day late and a dollar short. Uh, Thursday is the day when everyone's kind of podcasts go up. I feel like it's kind of the perfect medium between, okay, two days after all the stuff came out, 
Um, but the show goes up on a Friday, so like our subscribers who are going out for the weekend can download it to their whatever before they, they take off um, for their weekends. Obviously, they can still do that if they have cell, cell phone reception. But a lot of people like get geared up for the weekend on their Fridays. And now the shows, we try to get the shows up late Friday night. So at least they're there for Saturday morning. So we want to eventually get back to Thursday. Uh, hopefully, you guys are okay with that. I realize it's better. This time slot's better for people in Europe by a country mile. I totally get it. But I feel like the show itself is better on a Thursday. So, But until we have enough content to bump it up a day and have a good show... That's probably not going to happen. Mm. So, foreseeable future Fridays until we have an avalanche of content or information that will warrant bumping up a day and only having six days to gather and kind of get content together for an episode. So, uh, Fruit Eater asks: Is Persona Five fairly standalone, or do you have to have played the other the previous game? As far as I know, every Persona game is standalone. Yeah, it's completely standalone. It's a brand new story that starts out. There's, I mean, there's obviously elements of the Persona games that mm. have carried over. Obviously, like the Personas, but there is no character <laughs> continuity, as far no. as I'm aware. No, me either. I mean, I not that I've picked up on so far. I mean, there might be I've like played. cameos or something. Like, I think yeah. there's a couple characters in three that are referenced or seen briefly in four or something like that. So there might be something like that, but. It, yeah, they're totally different stories. Yeah. There's no continuity. And they almost do too good of a job of setting up the story. Like I said, I feel like I'm still in a tutorial and I've been playing for multiple hours. So, uh, yeah, if you've never played a Persona, don't sweat it. You're not going to be jumping into the deep end of the pool and not knowing what's going on. Uh, the Legacy asks, have you played Horizon yet, Shane? No, I still have it. <laughs> I still have it. Horizon might, uh, given given some time, Horizon might crack that top 10 list yeah it's really good yeah I, i'm gonna play it don't get me wrong i'm gonna play it and we're gonna do eval for it and i'll probably do some live streaming because i can play whatever show whatever the hell i want now at this point uh but i've not jumped on it yet it's just been one after another after another and it kind of got wedged in the middle there unfortunately um let's see can you give sifted user rowdy wabbit a shout out he's posted a blog about a mobile game he's made Sloth Climb. It's fun. Everyone should give it a go. Well, there it is. There's his shout-out. Um, score Fear. Now knowing a lot more about Zelda Breath of the Wild, what do you think the DLC dungeon is going to be? Good question. Short. Another deity or something more <laughs> advanced? I'm hoping more advanced, but I don't know what you would do for that. I mean, there is... There's no dungeons in the game, no. so how do you even have a frame of reference for what the DLC dungeons... Maybe they're actually going to give you a real frickin' dungeon. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> how um, about that? Well, here's the thing. Um, the one thing I guarantee is there's going to be 12 more shrines. Yeah. Because you need 12 more shrines to have maxed out uh, Link's stats. Right. Because you can pick heart container or yeah, stamina, yeah. and you're basically you're, you're uh, uh, three upgrades short of maxing it out. You have to pick one. And so I think the DLC will add enough shrines to max Link out. And that's the only thing I can say for sure. Maybe we really get a real dungeon. Imagine that. That'd be nice. Well, I mean, there's, there's people that speculate that, like, you'll play a Zelda, and it'll be a flashback to, like, whatever she had to do a hundred years ago, Could and be. that'll be an actual dungeon that she goes through, or, like, what, you know, which seems like a cop-out to some degree. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. There's obviously plenty of empty land for them to just plop whatever the hell they want down yeah, there. Yeah, they can do whatever. <laughs> and then there's there's also there was something where um, 
uh, people were pointing out, there's a part of the map where like uh, you can you can't get to it, but it's there and it's not named. It's conspicuously part of the map, but not part of the game. And like people think that that's the part that's going to fill in. And like, I don't remember where it is, but I saw somebody saying like you know this part, all the other parts where the map ends, it like goes off the map. You know the map ends on the on the screen, but in this there's like a little chunk that is clearly still on the map, but you can't get there yet. And so that's probably where they're going to add whatever that is. Yeah. Um, It'd be interesting just to see how they do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, because, I mean, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much on their wording, because, you know, story-driven dungeon can mean anything. Well, they also said that there were dungeons in the game, right. and there weren't, so I take everything they say with a grain of salt, um, I mean, I, which like, is probably why they're asking us this question, because they yeah. do too, so. I mean, I'd kind of maybe take another uh, Divine Beast, just because those look cool. Yeah. I don't find them very satisfying as dungeons, but I think they look pretty neat. Yeah. Well, I think they're, I mean, some of them are ingenious. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> playing those without any help, one of them almost broke my brain in half. I was just like, I, I can't even do this. I had to, like, walk away and, like, hmm. come back with, like, a fresh look on it. Because there was one, it reminded me of the Water Temple in Ocarina of Time. There's that one puzzle in uh, the Water Temple in Ocarina where... You raise the water level, and there has been a block sitting on the ground. And when you raise the water level, the block raises up off the ground. And then there's a hole that you can jump down in. And I remember that stumped me and all my friends who were playing that game for literally days. Hmm. We could not solve the water temple. And there's a very similar thing in one of the, the dungeons in Breath of the Wild, where there's this, once you turn it, there's a little hole that you have to, like, fall down in. And I could not find that freaking hole. And I just... It's like, you know, when you, you're playing a game and you feel like you've tried everything and you're just like, I've flipped this every direction. I've went to every part of it while I flipped it. It's like you go through permutations and combinations and go through the process of elimination. Mm. And I felt like I had done that and I just found it accidentally. Like I just kind of, I had turned it while I was on it and I slid and fell down and I landed like right next to it. I'm like, there's a hole. And I dropped down <laughs> in and I was like, hallelujah. Yeah. Not a lot of that in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless you're talking about the stupid motion control shrines. Oh, you got to roll the ball. Uh, let's see. We'll answer a couple more. Do, do, do. Got, uh, got Shane to say y'all. <laughs> Cheater Hater asks about someone who deals in heart containers in the world that they mention. That's the, there's a character that can reset your stats. You don't buy heart containers or stamina vessels from them, but you can, if you don't like the way you've tricked out your link, you can you can get your points back and do it again for a fee. Uh, Ollie John, would you consider doing Game Face on YouTube Gaming? Also, you mean like live streaming on YouTube? I don't know. Um, I guess. Unfortunately, our TriCaster, I don't believe, unless there's like a firmware update we don't have yet, I don't believe it can stream on multiple platforms at once. I think it can only stream one. Um, but actually, we have not updated the firmware on our TriCaster for a while. Probably Maybe that's... Probably part, partly, yeah, thing. partly out of fear. Well, the last time we did that, it took us like four days to get it to work right again. So, uh, yeah, we can only stream on one service at once. But truth be told, he or she does make a really good point. Because we have 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube, 11,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel, and we have Less. like 1,100 <laughs> on Twitch. Yeah. 
So it does actually kind of make sense that we should be streaming on YouTube instead because there's there's going to be a bigger audience and a much higher likelihood of the, that audience then coming and subscribing to the site. Um, and I believe, I mean, some people argue that YouTube streaming is better than Twitch's as well as far as vi- video quality and stuff like that. So it's certain, certainly something that we'll look into. I would love to be able to stream on both at the same time. That would be the ideal situation. And there's Beam. We can stream on three at once, which I think just launched today on Xbox One. So... Yeah, we probably should investigate that a little more. Uh, sometimes it, you, you overthink things, and you should just go where the audience is. And our audience really is on YouTube and not on Twitch. So that's something to think about. Um, feel free to leave your opinions of that uh, and your impressions of that idea in the comments on the show. And I will say, every time I ask people to leave comments about something on the show in the comments, they never do. Every time I'm like, <laughs> leave feedback about this in the comments, nobody ever leaves any feedback. So do it this time. Uh, let's see. Find another one by any chance? No. I mean, it's, it's a, Ian Esquire asked, if you, could, if you guys could ask a question for Patrick Factor, what would you ask? We can't ask a question for Patrick no. Factor. No. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I feel, I feel like Shane would just ask Pactor when the camera's off. Yeah, I mean, we, when we go to shoot Pactor Factor, uh, I don't just show up, shoot and roll. Like, while I'm setting up, I talk to Pactor for like an hour after we're done shooting, we sit around and we talk for like another hour. We chat the whole way while we're recording. Um, so, honestly, I don't have a lot of questions for Pac. He yeah. he has a lot for me because he doesn't play a lot of games. He doesn't have access to a lot of games. He doesn't have time to play the ones that he does get sent. So, a lot of times what he'll do is he'll sit down and he'll start picking my brain of stuff that I played to see if it's worth him giving it a shot. Or... Who asked me my opinion on some news topic that broke that week? Because he looks at everything from like a financial perspective. So he he asked me things from more of like a content perspective or a critical perspective on some things, or asked me, "Are people crazy about this? Are they right? Are they wrong? Uh, that type of thing." But um, as far as asking him questions, I mean, I'll tell you what: if people don't start sending in more questions for Pactor Factor, I am going to have to start asking him questions. <laughs> I mean, I had to go in you, the YouTube comments to get questions for the last batch. Like that, and he even was like a YouTube question, and I was like, "Yep, that's where it's at." <laughs> like, because you know, he tweets, "Hey, send out Pactor Factor questions at like 11 p.m. Pacific," right? And then you get like two replies, and it's like, "Dude, like, do it at like noon when everybody's on Twitter, and we'll get more responses." So, yeah. And also, by the way, there is a message board thread on Sifted right now. We're taking requests on ways to alter or change Pactor Factor. Uh, show's been on the air, or on the air, on, on the site for over a year now, which is crazy to think about. Um, he's up oh, well up over 50 episodes at this point. Um, and we look, we've changed this show three times now, I think, since it launched. Mm-hmm. And we haven't touched Pactor Factor. And so I have noticed that the views are starting to fall a little bit for Pactor Factor. You guys aren't watching it as much. Uh, although on YouTube, it's actually starting to finally do better. You should probably start insulting more Nintendo executives. I guess, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> that's how you get the clicks. Uh, it, really, it is sad that that's the way it is. People don't want real information. They just want to argue with each other. But uh, the views are starting to go down a little bit on site. So uh, we're looking at ways to maybe change the show, morph the show a little bit. There is a message board thread that is stickied in the forums, and you guys can go there and share your opinion on that stuff. So did you find one more question while I was babbling on by any chance? Uh, w. Matthew asks, given the StarCraft remaster, what do you think the odds are on a Diablo 2 remaster? 
It's going to happen eventually. You think? I think everything eventually <laughs> is. That's what I've learned over the last half decade. Everything eventually is going to be remastered. Games are a flat circle. They're, yeah. The games that are coming out now are eventually going to get 4K remasters and then 8K, re, 8K remasters. Um, where does it end, Matt? Holographic remasters? I guess. Yeah. It may be. Like, that might be it. Like, the holodeck remaster. I don't know. It may go on into infinity. So, yes. You could ask, if you ask me any game that scores over an, even an 8, probably, yeah. or an yeah. 8.5. There's a lot of games that I'd be willing to play from the perspective of that robot game in PlayStation VR. Yeah. Like, Rigs? Like I, yeah. yeah. No, no the, um, the, the little robot platformer. You remember oh, that? yeah, Where yeah. it kind of just stuck yeah. you in the game. Yeah, for the like playroom. Like play yeah, like I'd play like Mass Effect Remastered for that. Yeah. Just like floating over Shepard and kind of looking around in the world. Yeah, yeah. Like I'd play remastered versions of games. Like once VR headsets are like, you know, like 4K capable in, 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 in the screen. Like I would, I would, I, that'd be kind of a cool way to remaster something. Yeah. So they're saying the YouTube chat sucks. Is that because the chat sucks? It looks exactly the same to me. Physically or because the people in YouTube uh, chat Are you saying sucks? that it's the people? You have to deal with all the people on YouTube? And I, I would totally get that. I could... Totally understand. As somebody who has to moderate YouTube comments, I totally mm. get it. I definitely do. And well, I hear you. It's like we're in this little cocoon here on Twitch, but the little cocoon doesn't have any money in it, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Just got butterflies. Yeah. Butterflies don't pay the <laughs> Which bills. Which are beautiful, but they don't pay the bills. So um, we may have to rejigger our, uh, the way things work. Uh, WolfOx10JC asks if I'm going to watch this in the shell. Which I assume is Ghost in the Shell yeah. with autocorrect applied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I saw Ghost in the Shell earlier this week in a screening. Uh, actually, that reminds me. Yeah, I saw Ghost in the Shell earlier this week in a screening. Um, didn't hate it, which I guess means it's a success because that exceeded my expectations that I didn't hate it. Um, but uh, I, while I was at the theater uh, for that screening, um, I recorded uh, with Chris Gore and the Film Threat guys a podcast called uh, "That Might Be Going Up Soon." So uh, keep an, keep an eye out. And, and uh, some people have asked if I, that we were going to start like, some kind of thing for me to talk about movies in because I sidetrack the show with movie talk fairly <laughs> often. And it, something of that nature is happening. We've done the first episode. It's coming. Like, I'll give you more information as it happens. Yeah, but, we'll promote uh, the hell out of it here. You can, see what I, you can see what I think about Ghost in the Shell uh, in detail in that podcast, but I will just say right now, um, you're, you're probably safe waiting for red box really i mean it, it it wasn't visually as impressive as i thought it would Dude, be the promos for that they're they they're nothing yeah they're her in a bodysuit mm. basically like boobs yeah like they're they don't tell you what the, that it's what it's about they don't tell you that it's based on like something they tell you nothing yeah, they're well, like hey here's scarlett johansson <laughs> and a real shoot looking real hot i might add in a bodysuit jumping through glass and you know what that's probably plenty for it to get a good opening weekend no i don't think it's going to really i think it'll be lucky to crawl across 30 million that's not a bad opening weekend. For, it, is when, uh, it is when your movie costs $180 million. It costs that much? That's what, that's what the word Whoa, is. Whoa! That was a huge mistake. Also has <laughs> the most, might be the most production company logos I've ever seen in front of a film ever. Yeah. Like, it was a joint production with like six different companies. Um, well, you deal with a property like that. Like that is like, there's, that. Like a, there's a bunch of uh, yeah. Asian production companies involved. It's... Um, 
it's weird. It's weirdly bland and disconnected, and which is odd considering the subject matter. Also, like it's not really covering the same themes and subject matter of the original film. Right. It's basically a remake of RoboCop. Yeah. That's like what it I seems don't like. Like I don't. It's if you like the original movie, like it's they do, they do recreate several scenes from the movie almost shot for shot, but like it doesn't really seem to fit because it's about something different. And it's a very different approach to the material, and I just, I, I it just left me completely, kind of dis- disconnected. From, I, I walked out of it going like, eh, and I feel like eh is not a good enough reason to spend fifteen bucks at the movies. Hashtag Scarlett Johansson in a bodysuit. <laughs> that really is what they're selling. <laughs> it on. I mean, that's all it is. You know how every TV commercial or every movie has a hashtag, and like that should have been the hashtag. For and that look, movie. if you really desperately want to see Scarlett Johansson with like most of her clothes off, go watch Under Under the Skin. Yeah, I mean, you get the whole shebang there. Because she's a she's an android in this, and she doesn't have any nipples. So <laughs> is that true? Yeah. <laughs> why are, Sorry, why can't robots you know, have nipples? Like, in the comics, they do. All right, but in this one, like, there's it's told. It, there's a lot of differences in this that I think undermine the thematic underpinnings of how Ghost in the Shell is supposed to work, and instead trade it for more of a corporate people stole my memories, uh, RoboCop thing. So there you go. I did, and I feel like RoboCop covered that pretty well already yeah. in 1987, yeah. which was uh, when did the that movie came out in 95, 96. So it was already that idea was already outdated. When the original movie came out twenty years ago, you're right. Yeah, and now like, and the other weird thing is like they didn't really update the world to take into account this because Ghost in the Shell when it came out in ninety five ninety six, that world was so far flung, crazy future stuff, and a lot of that stuff has started kind of halfway get here. I know you it's know? not science fiction anymore. And like, <laughs> you know, especially because like I, I like the, the people. Some people have pointed out like like cyberpunk is happening in the real world, but we're getting all the boring parts first, right. like corporate Not control part, of yeah. things, information <laughs> overload, like social isolation. Like no yeah. one, no one has a cyborg arm that can lift a truck yet, but we have all the corporate <laughs> all ownership the already. Parts, yeah. yeah, the bad parts of cyberpunk is, are happening first, and that sucks. Yep. Um, but like they didn't, they didn't really do anything with the world in this movie that updates it for the twenty years that have passed since the original one. And in fact, I, I find it a little more. Blah. It's just like okay, it's like yeah, everything's a hologram ad. What else you got? The answer is they got nothing. They got Scarlett so Johansson. They got in Scarlett Johansson in a bodysuit. <laughs> and sometimes that's enough. And that's enough for us for Game Face episode eighty-one right here on Sifted Games. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, no matter where you may be or what time it may be. Um, and look, if we're going to make a move to YouTube, we'll message that out way ahead of time. It's not like you're going to show up for the show and we're not going to be here on Twitch. Uh, we would make a big announcement. We'd do one last episode on Twitch before we were to move over there. So don't freak out. We're not going to just disappear and you won't be able to find us. So everyone that's, have an... That's not a good way to run a show. That's really not a good, a good way to run a business is to just disappear. So How can we hide our broadcast from the most people? <laughs> Everyone have a great weekend. Hope you guys are all playing some great games. Obviously, there's plenty of them out there. Game Face is up and out.